Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. Dave, I appreciate you being here. Honored to be here. I, oh. I thank you for asking me, man. Oh, no, was... man. This is going to be a good one. I um, initially, I think we connected on social media many years ago, yep. but but been watching uh, your music and listening to your music and watching you what you do, and um, I'm just glad that you were receptive to coming oh, on, because I man. think we've got a lot of uh, similar backgrounds and similar likes on the musical front as well, too. I agree. What was the first question I asked you as to... When you first asked me about doing it. Old brain, uh, here we go. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember. I said, I said are you sure? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I, thought, that, I, I assumed that was a joke. That should have been a joke. That should have been I a joke. I guess you're going to find out. I no. am going to find out. That's right. Um, let's just let's get the obligatory stuff out of the way. You know, Tell the folks a little bit about, about who you are uh, and talk a little bit about your band, and then we'll take it from there. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you're on a job interview. Yeah, <laughs> Dave <August>. a freelancer. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm a lead vocalist in the band North of Mason Dixon or Nomad. Uh, I'm a nerd by day. Mm-hmm. Um, do IT work and things like that. And he's uh, one of those guys. One of those guys. I'm the the move guy. If you remember that from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> move. Um, but yeah, the uh, been in Nomad's been alive and kicking for. Geez, it's. Uh, we're in we're in year fifteen or sixteen now. Amazing. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, definitely some transitions along the way with members and and things like that. But it's been a pretty, you know, pretty crazy ride, pretty fun ride. You know, we've had ups and downs, no doubt. But for the most part, it's definitely been you know uh, worthwhile. And I mean, yeah. we've we've yeah. produced a lot of, in, in my opinion, what I feel is a lot of good music in the, in the, along the way. Played for a lot of people. Yeah, made we, a lot of people happy. Right. Yeah, yeah, we've done we've been all over the place. I mean, you know, we've we we call what we do, you know, our our touring, you know, regional because we probably play we we at least played on a consistent basis in the like the five six state area for yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you came on my radar well before this show um, a couple of years ago. Um, we have a mutual friend, uh, Jeremy Danger. Danger oh, yeah. on uh, on Froggy. Danger's our boy. Yep, yeah, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you were. Did you, you folks went in studio a couple times with them? Oh yeah, we do. I mean, we we were for quite a while when we were releasing new material, and um, it's a tradition now. He calls it a tradition that we're on the twelve bands of Christmas, yeah, regardless it. every that's year. That's so. it. I think I think that might have been where you came up on my radar initially. Yeah, I and think so. That's the funnest time. I, like, that's my favorite time to do stuff because I'm a Christmas song addict. Number oh, yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, and uh, he's you know he's definitely on board with doing whatever. So we come in and right on pick some strange right things. Right on, and, right on. So I, let's get a little bit about your background yep. uh, before we get into the fun stuff. You just want me to rattle off? I okay. want to know. Okay. I want to know as I ask most musicians that come on this show, when did the spark start? At what age did it happen, and who delivered it to you, if anyone? Yeah, definitely. Um, it it, it kind of came in phases, but the first just general. Wanting to sing, you know, I don't know if I could say at the time it was going to be, I wanted to sing in front of people and this and that, but strangely enough, I just said Christmas stuff. Four years old, no joke, we had the eight track of the Jackson 5 Christmas album. 
<laughs> and you know the band in general was you know mind blowing to begin with. But you know Michael uh-huh. at the at that age yeah. cranking out Christmas tunes and me at four and five years old trying to emulate him. You know, little white dude with a voice that couldn't touch his. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like that. You know, I literally used to have my parents come in and tell me to like be quiet because I right. was just. I had headphones on, right. and I was just singing horribly at the top of my lungs. <laughs> you know, at the time, not knowing I was trying to develop my voice. But I mean, that was literally like the first thing. The Jackson Five, and and I'm not kidding. Like I have posted on social media pictures of that eight track that I yeah, still have. Right on. It's destroyed, but um, and that's where like my first inspiration came from. That was it. Yep. And then like okay. it, it quickly. I mean, literally quickly took a left or right turn, whatever you want to say. Um, because my I had two older brothers and an older sister, and they were all into mainly rock. I mean, okay. you know, at the time, you know, Kansas, Kiss was, I mean, yeah. we're going to talk about Kiss, oh, but Kiss sure. was the next huge, like, hit me like a brick wall right. a few years after that. Right. And I became obsessed at that point. Um, but, you know, all that era of, of great rock, Sticks, Queen, Kansas... I mean, my seventies, man. Yeah, I mean, my my brothers in particular was were that, and my sister, not probably not intentionally, but she was into a lot of the female rockers, Pat Benatar, Heart, all that stuff. So all that stuff was just bashing me, and I'm I loved every <laughs> you know every second of it, you know. And then you know that I mean it was probably in the same era, but like Billy Joel, right? All that stuff was just being slammed on me all the time. So did you have any pop sensibilities too, or was that there, or were you really that? moment because i always ask, ask that question of, of vocalists yeah no i mean it was definitely there it, it, again like that was probably strangely enough we were talking um, a little earlier but like that was probably came into early 80s where i got away from rock and uh-huh. and back into pop but during that time a lot of people did yeah but during that time like you know hollow oats and that right. kind of stuff stick in my head um, right yeah all the mtv era well, I'm, even previous to that, I'm saying like there was a little pop infused pre MTV, but 70s. once we got into early '80s, yeah, I mean, I went, I kind of got away from rock a lot, right, and got more in back into like Michael Jackson. I mean, we got to talk about Prince, of course. Prince is my heart that's and probably soul. Probably the greatest showman ever. Yeah, that's my heart and soul, and and you know, um, well, we're, we're there. Let's talk about him now because I think do we it. may have some similar stories. He came on my radar for the, at the very beginning for the For You record, and it wasn't that it was like anything else I was listening to. I was a hard rock kid, yeah, you know. But it was there was just something magical about that artist in that time frame. Yeah. He was the right guy at the right time. Yeah, I missed the early boat, like the first few albums, and I would probably say. Like did you, hear, did you get the controversy? Did yes. You, okay. So yeah, that's where that, it kind of started for me too. Yeah, and that's when I first started hearing it. But like, I didn't really grasp it at the time. I mean, like, you know, um, Red Corvette, 1999, those hits and stuff. But like, for whatever reason, the song that always stood out that I got hooked on, and then went insane after that was Delirious. I have no idea why. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I, anytime I reference back, that's the one that sticks out. I knew the uh, the previous tunes wow. and I liked them. Okay. But like that one, like grabbed me, and then you know, Purple Rain came along. But like, to me, at, at the time, you know, Purple Rain was everything. You know, I, I wore it out seven thousand times, knew every little note, still know every little note. But it's what came after is what blew my mind um sign of the times yeah 
Um, and then into the early 90s, a couple albums, um, Gold, yeah. uh, Diamonds and Pearls. Yeah. Those are the ones that I can't ever stop listening to and won't ever stop listening to. Okay, so you... Cause it, the reason I asked that question is I have some friends who also were Prince fans from the same era, and we were, by Purple Rain, we were okay with him going forward, but I think we were kind of done by then. We had just gotten so much of it, and that, that album, for as amazing as it truly is, it's undeniable. Right. It also was hugely oversaturated. No doubt. So and from that, there... And that's how I feel today about that album got it like it's hard to listen to those songs and i mean i feel the same you know we could probably oh, talk absolutely other albums too absolutely other songs that i can't ever listen to again <laughs> but that and that's the thing like to me he you know um i think around the world in the day was right after that and yeah. um I forget, it's a movie. love it's a, sexy it's a movie for that too right like, um, like a noir movie well, or something. graffiti bridge was one that was later. Under a Cherry Moon. That was right after Purple Rain. Yeah. That was filmed like uh, in France or something. It had I kind think, of a funky think so. feel to it. Yeah. And so those albums to me resembled Purple Rain and that sound, but Sign of the Times came along and like it was a right hook to me. And that album to this day Got is it. a masterpiece, start yeah, to finish. There's no doubt. There's no uh, doubt. Did, it, did, did your vocal style. Um, Looking at it today, obviously, you've probably watched it evolve or you've listened to it evolve. Right. It's coming from you. But was there any influence coming from Prince in the way you sang? No doubt, yeah. I mean, like those days, probably, you know, um, I guess early high school into late high school is where I was I was extremely shy, like going into high school and stuff. So like singing in front of somebody was just not an option in my mind. Right. Um, right, right. And then I got into uh, choir and chorus and things like that. And at that time I was like using him and other voices that I loved to try to like kind of find mine and -hmm. develop mine to some degree. Cause it was, it Mm -hmm. was, you know, not really developed at any point in any way at that time. But yeah, I mean, starting, I mean, probably with Purple Rain, because again, it was just so there all the time and I was trying to emulate things he did and the way he did it during that album is when I, like, that was one of the first ones where I'm like, okay, you know, what's he doing here? And can I do that? And how can I do that? And, you know, I wasn't an early voice vocal lessons person. I That came okay. later on. Okay. So I was just experimenting at the time. So... Were you the only one in your family that dug Prince the way you did, or did your siblings yeah. dig him as well? My sister, I would say, was was in the ballpark, but not me. And and that's because that's the right term from rock. Yeah, but the thing is, there's, I mean, honestly, there. It, it's he's everything. Yes, I mean, he is. if you listen to his body of work, it's he's everything. everything. Yep. And, and again, the later years, like mm-hmm. early '90s on, there's so much rock. I mean, there's verging on metal, a couple right. of metal tunes. Right, right, right. And you know, his playing is rock playing you know whether what regardless i don't of what know song, what his playing is but it's superior to rock playing and it's to me distinct yeah and it's yeah. so distinctive so uh-huh. yeah but yeah um so my again my sister but my sister like bounced around a lot with music so she kind of didn't get what he really was okay she just liked the hits you know what i mean yeah it, it sounds like we may be similar in that we just had a thirst for like really good stuff yeah and that's where i think i deviated from a lot of uh People around me, there were just strictly metalheads or just strictly R&B or I guess it was R&B then, or strictly soul. Because I was, you'd find me at a, a Prince concert or a Rick James concert. I'd be at the Gap Band show. The next night I'd be, you know, I'd be at a Kiss show or I'd be an Aerosmith show. I was, I was everything, right? I'm the same. Yeah. And I mean, my thing is, 
and and you know, I'm I'm sure some some of the music. In fact, I know some of the music that I like and will always love. People can't stand and think it's horrible, but I just doesn't think, matter. No, it doesn't. And I I just think there's a core something about music where it's either good or bad. Right. That's exactly it. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, what I mean? you say that to people and they don't get it. Like I've said exactly the same thing where. Music is either good or bad. Even with symphonic music, like why will some symphonic music, if you're exposed to it, like something will something will hook you, almost like a right hook to the face. Sometimes it's yeah. so good. Yeah. The rest of it's just background noise, yeah. right? But there's once in a while, even if it's a genre you wouldn't really dive into, something will grab you. No doubt. If you let it. I agree, and I mean, like you know, '90s rock for you know, as, as an example for me, you know, when it when it took over. You know, and I, I, it, I'll use the word grunge, but it was a lot of different things. Right, but right, right. When it kind of took over, I despised it beyond despised it because it crushed so many of the My artists. Kindred spirit here. Yeah, because it yep. crushed so many of the artists that I love. <laughs> and I mean, it, it became. It killed hair metal. It, it did, and I mean, it. But it, the thing is, it killed it in a way where, number one, I realized after the fact, the bands themselves. I, Maybe, and somebody's going to kill me for this, but maybe with the exception of Nirvana, none of them intended for that to happen. Right. The 90s bands. Right. But it was an agenda put in place by MTV oh, and radio stations. It was, it was radio stations. I think it was the record industry by labeling, no doubt. creating they're marketable like, product. Yep. They're like, we're done with them. We're moving on. But yeah. it's like that, that to me, that was the first time I saw that happen in my lifetime where it wasn't music wasn't available to everybody all the time and that that crushed me i mean depressed me for a long time but again yeah. in retrospect going back to it now like you know i own a pearl jam album or two mm, sure um um what's his name chris cornell i adore as right, a vocalist right. and things like that but because in the end weren't they just fucking rockers man exactly it was just a rock band. just just repurposed Look in a different Stone Temple pilots how they, they labeled them as grunge that was the most dynamic group to come out of the 90s it's still somewhat viable now agreed right agreed. Look, yep. at, look at their body of work that's not grunge agreed yep. it's crazy but it, it you know similar to i mean similar to the hair metal thing or the hard rock thing they got lumped in you know what i mean everybody gets lumped into something labeled pigeoned in a box whether you want to be or not yeah and then it can either catapult you or screw you um when did you realize that we were no longer in kansas anymore that there had been a title <laughs> shift was it because for me it was going into national record mark that was my you know like i went in in in, in 89 or maybe it was 90 i guess and um and i was we talked about rush off air rush never fit into any genre so you just when a rush album came out or a cd you went and got it that was that was just the way things worked in my life yeah so i was in there buying a rush thing and then i couldn't find like the hair metal stuff which was it wasn't called hair metal but you know i couldn't find yeah i call it melodic hard rock rock, right and then you started seeing every the title shift where things got like it appeared the music was angry to me yep i agree that's the word i would use i mean just a lot of darkness and depression and anger and angst and i'm like where did this come from i'm like i'm still a happy dude to some degree and i don't want to listen to this but you know we could compare somebody did yeah we can we can compare this to a lot of things but yeah that there was a crowd out there dying to to for somebody to feel what they were feeling and that kids younger than us at the time i think that's it too and 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 you know you got to give kudos to some degree to the capitalist nature of the record industry because they are on point 
Usually. They're not anymore. Oh no no, <laughs> but that, they were. Well, that's because I think they had a they had a viable marketing right. strategy that a process they followed. Well, the internet changed all right. that. But yeah, I say they could sell CDs back then and records. Yeah, and there was a tangible product. Once once it became a downloading medium, now anything goes, and yeah. they have never put their arms around it from that point. Right. right. But that up to that point, they were on the cusp of what the next thing was. Now they were helped creating the next thing, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. I mean. But yeah. but I, I thought grunge was very, and I pushed back too. I remember hearing Pearl Jam, and knowing that that's rock and roll, not grunge or any. That's just rock and roll to right. me. But man, they they would label them in with Soundgarden, which was just a heavy rock and roll band. Right. But that was grunge, right? Right. But at the time, like I said, I in my mind it was grunge, and I hated it because it destroyed. You labeled it. Yeah, I did. I labeled it too. Yeah, I did. And it, you know, looking back, I'm like, okay, I was wrong there, and it wasn't this, and it wasn't that, but. You know, but to answer your question about when it hit me, like I, I, I can't say there was anything like a, a record store experience that stood out. But um, you know, I, it's it's me stealing a story off of Janie Lane from Warrant, yeah. you know, and his thing was, and it was around ninety two, ninety three, like things were starting to go off the cliff, and he like his example was, uh, he walked into his record company, Columbia Records, and for years. The big uh, framed picture above the desk when you walked in was Cherry Pie, Pie. which he, you know, he'll tell you he hated the song. I mean, he would have told you he hated the song and stuff, but he walked in one day and it was, um, oh my goodness, you already said their name and I'm just trying to- Soundgarden? No. Um, Pearl Jam or Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots? No, I wish it was any of those. (laughs) Um, Who sang, uh, oh my goodness. That's all right. There wasn't that man in the box. Oh, Alice in Chains. It was yeah. an Alice in Chains thing, and yeah. he went, "Okay, things are changing. Yeah, times have changed." And like that, Alice in Chains. I mean, I like uh, something I w- we'll talk about yeah. at some point here is yeah. my buddy Ray Luzier is the drummer for Corn. Oh yeah, he yeah, he yeah, replaced yeah. their yeah. original drummer like yeah. a long time ago at this point. Yeah, right on. Um, and they toured Corn in uh. 2019 toured with Alice in Chains, who has a new vocalist, young black dude, incredible. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. they're a band that I, to this moment, can't get past <laughs> because of that indelible mark that you had. <laughs> not no, not because of that. Their sound and the, to me, they, it was always anger and negative. Yeah. In that. And and I could be wrong because I don't yeah, know I, their catalog I, that I, well. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot to that. Just to, to rewind the background here, why I tried to get. Uh, my sidekick, Fred Koala, who's been on many shows, if you've watched the I show have. or listened, Freddie goes back to the Boogie Street years, uh, and Fred and I connected because of music. He was and has been a longtime guitar tech for everybody, Zach Wilde and all it, but he worked for, um, he worked for Allison Chains from, I don't know, I, I, maybe it was like uh, 2010 to 2014, so he's... We we talk all the time. It's not. It, I don't think the music is as angry as it used to be. The funny thing. I agree. The funny thing is, Dave. David, I'll put that on, and I'll actually rediscover that. Like that is a freaking really good song. And and I might. Staley's voice is really pretty good. He, if you give it a shot. Strong, strong as <laughs> all. Yeah, strong as all strong. I agree. And and if I did that, I'd probably think the same thing. But yeah, I yeah, just yeah. never did. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it, well, we're gonna get to it. And the reason I wanted Fred also here was that he was also on working on. Many movies in Pittsburgh, but he was also on the road. That's hilarious. So we'll get there. Yeah, and I, I we'll get you and him together in the same room at some point. Okay, here. It's cool. going to be really fun. Cool. But um, 
in regards to Alice in Chains and just listening to your rationale, it is exactly what I believe the moment I heard Man in the Box. I'm like, this is like, it's smacking. I, I Not that I was offended, but it was like, wow, they took the religious angle. Yeah, that offended In me. their face, in your face. But what was undeniable was the, not not the anger, but it was the, the you, see, you separate the lyrics from the music of that song. Like, wow, these guys have got... They can, and I found out it was Cantrell. They were writing right. really hooky right. but heavy right. tunes, and and not and to me. I mean, yes, they were melodic, but not, uh, but not in a, you know, it wasn't a, your style, right? That's, yeah. I mean, and that's the bottom line for yeah. me. That's what it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just wasn't that that melody that to me is the most important thing, and the and the thing that catches and gives you, you know, if it's a positive melody, you know, it just lifts you and. So you okay? So that kind of thing. Yeah. So I've actually I'm actually speaking to someone that can identify how I felt in 1990. This is exactly. So you were early on though, because like yeah. to me, it, it was still. I mean, if you go back and and I'm I'm an addict about that stuff, and I'm I'm hooked on still hooked on all those bands and things. But you know, they were still producing hits. They were on the charts probably up until like 92ish or yeah, so, and then no it, it started going. No doubt. So you got in early on that. I mean. Um, I yeah. I was probably clueless to Nirvana and all that stuff until it really kicked in. Yeah, because I was focused on everything that I still loved and wasn't paying attention to any of that. When I when I heard the, I'm trying to think where I was, but I, when I heard the first Nirvana rec, first song that was "Smells Like Teen Spirit," right. well, the first time I heard that, I got nothing out of it. Yeah. And then I heard another album off that got nothing out of it. Then I saw them. I don't know at what award show or right. what MTV thing or your background, you know, nothing. Yeah. I'm like, they don't even tune their instruments live. It was horrendous because the whole point of it, it was really kind of punk uh, all over again, yeah. which I wasn't against, but it wasn't punk to me. That wasn't, right. it wasn't the pistols, man. Right. That was like something, this was, this was something funky. I'm 100% with you. You know? Yep. And there, I mean, again, like to me, they might have been the only one, and I, I have to put a caveat to all this too, is because I adore Dave Grohl. Yeah, I have no idea how Grohl came out of that, but I'm glad he came out of that. You know, it's a different Grohl though. Yeah, hundred percent. He was in it. I, he was kind of more. He seemed like. I mean, he even said he was like the tenth or twelfth drummer into that whole thing, and I think he started as a hired gun, and he was never allowed to really contribute his music, right. his thoughts anyway. Right. But um. I really think, I, and I could be way wrong on this, that they were one of the few bands that either agreed with the new agenda or wanted to push the new agenda as much as possible. I think they kind of, you know, I don't, I don't mean to sound like, you know, the crybaby, but like they made a point to lash out and do little little things to make you look back and go, oh, that stuff sucked previous. And we're making fun of it now. We're mocking it now. Just little hints here and there. Yeah, but I mean that is that is the spirit of punk. I have to tell you. And, I agree. And, and the funny part about it is, I think it has to do. Now I'm four years older than you, so there is that. Four years is a big time it in is. terms of childhood. So it is. The reason I, I bring this up is because what validated the Sex Pistols to me in that whole era, not just them. Was they were like throwing the big middle finger to everything before it. Now yeah. I didn't like it because th their whole th stick was to tear down Pink Floyd and tear down ELO and tear down. So or, yeah, they yeah, were doing the same. thing. But they were coming from Britain right. and they were tearing down the British right. progressive rock, right. heavy rock. Um, here, 
and at that time, I thought that was just the way thing. You're not at the age of 10, 12 years old. You don't know any better. That's right. just the, that's the that's the way it is. But now at 22, 23, I can look at it objectively and say, no, what you're saying is shit is fantastic. Yeah. F you because this, you, you know, so that's where my whole anti grunge thing was. I was taking offense. I shouldn't have, but I was taking offense of they're tearing down my music. Yeah. And, and, and but, you know, the more you say that, again, I think you're right. Like, I was too young to even see or experience or understand the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. thing and all that. But it, it happened back then. But to me, this was the beginning. The early 90s was the beginning of there's not enough room for everybody. And that pissed me off. Cause That's I'm like, very true. Cause, and it, That's and, very and, true. And it is held that true. That was verbiage. That was and verbiage. it is held through to today in every mm-hmm. genre. There, yeah. It's... it's you know, at some point or another, more recently, I mean, this is kind of another topic, but well, not really. But it's like youth eventually takes over in a genre. It becomes crap to some degree, and then it recycles itself, and like it goes through it in every genre. No and, question. I, and you know, no I, my band is in the in the modern. We we've called it for years the modern country genre, and. When we decided to transition out of like pop rock into the country scene, that was in like '03, '04. I at the time would have you would have had to put a gun to my head to tell me I'm ever going to sing in a country band or I'm going to enjoy country. And my drummer Bob Kunkel, who you may know through yeah. other people, yep. hands me a disc and says, "Give this a chance. Give this a listen." And it was Keith Urban. Oh yeah, and. I, I was just totally taken. I'm like, well, first of all, he's a rocker disguised as a country guy. Right. And these songs are pop and rock tunes. They're right. not country tunes. Absolutely. And and that era, that time frame, you know, it was probably a little before that, probably like maybe beginning of 2000s, up, and, up through um, maybe 2015 or earlier. Again, it was that window for me in country music where everybody was still welcome. Every age, you know, um, George Strait, everybody was still welcome. And it hit some thing where even those, I mean, Keith Urban is, he's going to be around for a long time. Right, right. But a lot of those groups and solo artists from that era have been phased out for the youth. And the youth of country is pop music, fake drums, no bass on tours. Now, just, when, now, when do you think that actually be, started to become prevalent? <laughs> uh, some, in, in country music. Well, some of my band members, will, if they end up seeing us, they'll laugh. <laughs> and, and they'll agree with me to some degree. And I, I hate to pick somebody out, but the, the one that stands out to me, and, and I think it was a little before this, but Florida Georgia Line. And, you know, everything I see in here, again, I, I, get, I have a chance now to look back a little bit, says to me that they're good people and they do a lot of good things. But their brand of music, you know, programmed drum beats, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm I there's I'm I I like to some degree a, a, a bit of rap and things over the years, but they incorporated they had incorporated that in, and you know, it's called hip hop and all this stuff. I mean, like I think of people like Johnny Cash and them rolling over in their graves, going, "What happened to country music?" Because it just it just lost its its depth and its storytelling ability and its instrumentation mm-hmm. to me country when i first heard it i got addicted to like all the instrumentation mm-hmm. about it uh you know like 
fiddle, steel guitar. Well, that's mean, real country, though. So you have an appreciation for real country. Well, yeah, but... The, tradi- more, more traditional country. No, I mean, I, I appreciate it a lot more now. But again, like Keith Urban, Rascal Flats, yeah. Big and Rich. That's guitar-driven. Yeah, like Big and Rich were ones that, yeah. um, when the, they first came on the scene, like I heard crunch guitar and I heard electric solos that were ripping. And I'm like, this, to me mixed in with all the I mean they had banjos going on in the background right. a fiddle solo right. everything combined it was like my my mind was blown and you know they came out and said like they had a hard time getting people to listen to them labels and such because they'd go to them and go look number one we're not changing what we're doing and you're going to hear some heavy electric guitar in our tunes and this and that can you deal with that and I, I forget what label they originally signed to but you know uh, save a horse ride a cowboy man right out of the box punched right. you in the face right. with that kind of sound and to me that you know that really sucked me in along yeah. with the other yeah, stuff yeah 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 so yeah. i do i mean there's no doubt i appreciate the the traditional stuff my dad i grew up on that through my dad to some degree and i loved it but like probably like garth brooks in the early 90s mm-hmm. when i first heard him i'm like okay this now, is now that's country kiss yeah his shows are country exactly kiss, right? you know you know how big of a kiss I mean, fan he is yeah yeah but i mean they have his shows that changed everything no to doubt me. Yeah, and same me, and that that's that's when I first gave it a look and said, okay, they they got something going there, and it, it got a little cheesy into the '90s, but I mean, oversaturation, I yeah, think, didn't help. But like bands throughout that time, <clears throat> Little Texas and things like that, they were a little cheesy, but I dug them because they were like a hair band right. that played country music. Yeah, and I, and I see, I don't have, I've really come full circle, David. I don't, I don't have a bias anymore to like uh, if, if something sells. It's valid. It doesn't mean I have to like it. That's true. It's I I, ju- I just think there's a crowd out there yeah, that likes I, it. Um, and I think the mistake happens when uh, old fogies like myself want to stay very rigid to labels that were given to me. I didn't create these labels. Right. I fucking bought into them by going to record stores where this is heavy metal. This is right. hard rock. This right. is R and B. Right. This is rap. We- Consumers just buy in, and we we go to the trough because they drag us, they put us there. We go there willingly, and yep. we compartmentalize our thinking that way. Yep. Now, since downloading, I think the generations below us really hate labels. God bless them, and they just want to listen to music that they like. Yeah. And, and granted, I'm not a big EDM fan. There's some things I like, but I like to create. I like more human creativity in my music. Agreed. Yep. That's how the differentiation between that. And yeah. what I dig, but I can't invalidate it if someone's paying for it. That's like the ultimate test. It it must be worth something, right? But we got, you have to counter that today with who's paying for it. True, you know because number one, yeah, okay, let's go with streaming. Mm-hmm. Some people were paying for that, but like you know, I'm an IT nerd. If I wanted to steal music. All the music of I love, I'd have it all. Of course. I still buy CDs, but I, I am also subscribed to a streaming service. Right. I'll preview right. music on a streaming service, buy the CD, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but I agree with you there for sure. The one thing that I think is a killer about today's music, not music, but the music in general is the availability of it is so huge that... You know, young people more than anybody are overwhelmed with. It's not special anymore. Correct. It's just there everywhere. It's devalued. You can listen to any genre at any time. So somebody likes one song from one artist, they're not getting that album. 
look like I used to order CDs from Japan for bonus tracks from like Bon Jovi's the one that sticks out to me, but and because I wanted more music, you know, I wanted new songs that nobody else ever heard, you know, all that stuff, and that just doesn't exist anymore. And I mean, I'm sure it does for some folks, but in general, like they have it in front of them. And I, I find I've, I've t- t- friends of mine, you know, same age, we have conversations that like I might get on a wormhole on Amazon Music Unlimited. I'm looking at one artist and it goes, you might like these and I'll jump to it. And I'm like, I'm doing the same thing. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. giving somebody a full chance because mm-hmm. I'm already somebody onto the next so artist. too many choices. Or, uh, that's a horrible thing to say in a, in a wonderfully capitalistic society, but we may not be mentally wired in a way as a human to take so much in at one time. That is a great point. Yep. I think you're right. It's just, it's overwhelming. To the mind. too much. And, and again, that devalues it, though, too, because anybody or their and their mother can become a YouTube, yeah. um, you know, what's the word? YouTube. Influencer. Celebrity or, or something. Oh, celebrity, okay. And stop. Anybody can do that now. And it's, it's it, in, a, in a way, that's beautiful, but in a way, that's crap. Well, that's exactly right. In a way, the, uh, the door to entry is wider, lets a lot of more people in. I'm for that. The problem is when you do that, you, um, if you even even if you take the money component out of it, when you do that, quality suffers because quality comes from the parsing yeah, of things, exactly. right? Yep. And when you don't have that parsing and everything's available, and think of you what have to you wade through the garbage, right? And think of what you're missing. That's like opening a dam and trying to catch fit like the fish you want that are coming through. You know what I mean? And it's Think of all the stuff you're missing. And those are the, you know, I can, you and I could probably have talked for hours about bands that should have made it, artists that should have made it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it was different at that time. But today, to me, it's even worse. It's just like you're you're a tadpole in an ocean. Yeah. yeah well, well, first off, um, before we even head there, let me ask you one question I've asked many uh, artists on this show, especially in the music business. Today, is music disposable? I mean, to me, it's an instant yes. And, and it goes back to it's devalued to nothing. And I mean, most, you know, I talk to, you know, I talk to younger people enough where and have, you know, nieces and nephews and stuff where they jump on YouTube. They'll just go watch something on YouTube or they'll um, like, uh, uh, here's a good story. Um, I, I think it is anyway. My, as I said, my buddy Ray Luzier, who's the drummer in mm-hmm. Corn. He's him and I have these talks all the time about how devalued everything is and blah blah blah. He'll have fans come up to him. He's told me this a couple times with burned CDs, and he's like, "Dude, I love your drumming on this CD. Can you autograph it for me?" And he goes, "No." And he goes, "Do you know why I'm telling you that?" And he'll go, they'll look at him like stunned. He'll go, "Where'd you get that CD?" Well, my buddy burned it for me. Well, your buddy shouldn't have burned it for you. Number one, number two, you should have went and bought it if you love my drumming that much. And like he'll come face to face with fans and give them that. And he's like, you know, we, this is how we make our living. Mm-hmm. You know, we tour, yeah, but it, it used to be a time where this was part of our living and stuff. Can so, kids grasp that though? Can they grasp it? Now? Not now, because depending on when you were born and when things happened, I just think they they just missed that boat. You know, and it sucks. It's depressing. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, like that's the thing. Like I will. The, we still sell CDs at our shows. I mean, you can buy them online and stuff too, but it's more of a download or streaming thing. But like, you know, we'll sell stuff at our shows and somebody will go, oh, I'll burn this for my buddy. And I just, I want to grab him by the throat and go, yeah, well, you know, that's not the idea here. But 
So, in some regards, you know, you you would listen to a rocker or a rock band from the '70s talk about how hard it was to break in, how lucky they were, and all this stuff. But you know, you, then the next question would be, yeah, but was it not easier to get paid on your craft at that point than it is today? Right. They'd have to admit it. They would it have is. to, I would think. Absolutely. No, I mean, you could buy a cassette player to make blank cassettes, but the technology was just emerging. Right. No one's really, I mean, right. if you wanted, if, someone, if somebody wanted that record, they'd have to go get it. Right. Yep. You know? Yep. And I mean, I, I would think, uh, you know, uh, there are some artists that I can, I would think that aren't creating new music, that live off their tours, that they might in today's world disagree because they don't have to they don't have the pressure of creating new music right. they just live off the old like Steve Miller band right. or somebody like that right, right, right. they just suck in money on their but tours most of the dinosaur rock bands are that way yeah. right yeah and that's I mean that, that's the thing though like um, I know we're jumping all over the place that's alright that's what we do here <laughs> but um, like you know again some of the bands I love from, from my era you know um, I'm trying to think of, you know White Snake, things yeah, like that. Absolutely, those bands. Bon Jovi. Yeah, all these guys, um, and uh, not all of them. A lot of these bands are still creating new music and releasing new albums. Whether the majority of the world wants to hear them or not, they're still doing it. And I give them huge credit mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there's so many gems among that music that sure. nobody's ever heard. Sure. And it like that's another thing that just it just crushes me. I'm yeah. like, because I'm not I'm loyal to. The you know people that I love, period. Well, of course, I mean in life, it's called in music, being a fan, man. Yeah, and I just if you're still giving it a shot, you're still touring, you're still producing new music. I'm right. on, I'm with you, right? You right, know, right, but right. you know, I hear, I, I, you may have seen, you know, like you said, we met on social media. You may see that I just out of the blue started this. I discovered this little feature in Facebook where you can save a collection. Oh yeah, which I've ne- I never screwed with before. Yep. And I, I started doing this with music videos that I couldn't find anywhere else. And I said, I'm going to put them in this save place so I can reference them back and potentially Absolutely. download them. So I um, I made it private at first. Okay. And I started saving some here and there. And if depending on the settings of the video, if it was public, it would then make my collection public. And I didn't know why. And people would start liking things and commenting. I'm like, Got it. why are they doing this? And I looked, I'm like, why is this public? So... At some point or another, I'm like, you know what? I'm leaving it public because I was getting positive reaction from it. Right, right, right. Um, and I just lost track of where I was no, going. That's all right. That's all right. But the point of it was it made me see to some degree that like, you know, the there are still, oh, I know what I was going to say. There are still people out there that love the music, but I what I what I do on purpose now is I'll, I'll post like three videos from a band mm-hmm. from maybe three different albums. And maybe one or only only one or two of those albums were like big, right? You know, and right. somebody will come and go. I didn't know this song existed. I never saw this video. And that, like, I'm like, well, now you did. Go listen. Go check out their newer releases because they're really good. Yeah, and I, and I think though a lot of well, is that more symptomatic of just the nature of having a legacy band? Like Jagger used to say all the time. You know, during the middle of a show, well, we got to we got to play a couple new songs, and the crowd would actually get quiet, or they'd be, you know, not yeah. that that material was bad. It's all subjective. Some of it I thought was very good, but it's just. And what does that say 
about us as humans that we want to hear the specific songs from a specific part of our life that make us feel a certain way. No doubt. Nostalgia. But current music won't touch us the same way. Right. I think that's just a human experience thing. I right? do too. And I, I mean, it's sad for the artist. It but. is because you're at a different point in your life and things like that. But I mean, there are, you know, I agree that it's it's not the same feeling and things like that. But I guess both of us probably come at it from a little bit of a different angle than the average consumer. You know what I mean? Because we're involved mm-hmm. in music. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, here's a band that, you know, somebody will hear me say this and they'll snicker, but Winger. Okay, mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands. Oh, yeah, I see them. Um, talented beyond all talented, every member of the band in every way, and they've they continue to release new stuff. Yep. Their last couple albums, um, musically, I mean, you listen to where you know they've all matured well, sure. and sure they've gotten better. Yeah, exactly. It's a human experience. Exactly. You, get, you get better if you're doing it right. Right, and you know all other people remember the Beavis and Butthead thing. Period. <laughs> but like I listen to these songs musically, like how they're built and stuff, and I'm like. Crap is such a good song, you know, and and I love it. And we got to play a, a show uh, with Reb like a couple Christmases ago mm-hmm. for a corporate party, and he came up come up and jammed with us. And him and I are BS, and I'm like, dude, you know, like there's a tune called "So Long China," and he goes, "For you to tell me you know that song just makes me feel so good." And I'm like, "Well, good, because it, I mean, it's incredible. That album is incredible, etc." And you know, I, yeah. I I really I have a problem, a little bit of a problem with nostalgia because, okay. yes, I do. I'll hear a tune and it'll take me back to something that made me feel the best ever in my life. Yeah, that's music. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the whole points of it. But I I don't want to I don't want to just be there. You know what I mean? Like right on. A, a, a college roommate and I uh, were discussing doing a podcast in some way. You know, do it. Focus, My advice to you is do it. Focused on melodic rock, metal, do it. primarily. But the more we keep talking about it, we're like, but we love, you know, Richard Marks, Mariah Carey. We're throwing out all this different stuff. So we were trying to come up with a name. And I wanted to, I told him, I'm like, well, I'm going to be on this talk show with Eric um, today. And we, we talked a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, we sh- I should have a name for that point. But we still don't. But the point is, we just want to talk about good music, right. like we started right. talking about absolutely. the very beginning of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, and, it's just, and, and the the point of me saying that was that him and I both agree. We're like, we're not if we're going to focus on you know hair metal, pop metal, melodic hard rock, all that stuff. It's not going to only be nostalgia. If it is, I don't want to do it. I want to talk about their new music, what they've done since you last their heard whole of them. Career, correct, and things like that. And you know whether it helps anything. I don't, you know, I'm still going to feel good about doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the, a lot of those groups, you know, Reb's a good example, is you can reach out to them now directly. Right. And they'll talk to anybody because they want to try to keep their, you know, their music going too. Absolutely So we right. already have, like, guests lined up. That, <laughs> that's awesome. That we're excited about. That's so. awesome, man. And, and, and that's the great thing about the internet, too, is it's made the world smaller. Yep. And it's made opportunities uh, for communication with people. And we're, you know, we're roughly the same era. And I tried to explain this to my son. I said, kid, look, you know, I think, I think my, my son was always fascinated why there were certain bands I just loved so much, you know, and they were just part of who I was and he would be exposed to them just hanging around his dad. And I just explained to him, I said, look, this music is disposable to you. I believe that it's just something, it's a part of your life, but not really a significant part of your life. Okay. Yeah. 
when we would immerse ourselves in a band, it was because the only outlet to find out about them was this album, this big disc with writing on it. And you would like hope, that. yeah, and, and we're exactly right. And you would hope that you may hear them on the radio or you could talk to your friends about it, but there was no other way to yep. get any information on this unique thing. Yep. It became like part of your identity because you loved it because it was because the information was scarce. Yep, and you can't explain that feeling and, to a younger person. Right. And that it's information, impossible. Was, yeah, and that information was very static. It was there. It was always there. You had it forever. It was yours. It was yours. Where today, it's it was it's, you, and you own the album. You take it and you own that album yep. as a kid. And I, I know I don't, you know my my experience was not unique my experience is an example of what millions went through right. but that album collection was more important to me than anything i owned at that time more than anything me too i would rather carry my albums to school than my books me too with, even mean, if i was never going to play that album at any study hall or anything i just wanted to be holding those things it yep. was that was my badge of identity yep, i agree you know and i mean you and i think are i mean kiss like i said was the next phase in my lifetime and that you know, for uh, let's go there. Let's go there. So, what was the first album that you owned, or how were you exposed to that band? I was exposed through my brother. Um, my very—I mean, I'm going to jump back and forth a little bit. Sure. But my very first concert was at age nine at the Civic Arena, and it was the Kiss Dynasty tour. And I mean, couldn't be a better first concert. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe it could have been the Destroyer or whatever, but at that point, the Dynasty tour was pretty impressive. No question. Um, no question. But you know, my my oldest brother was the was the Kiss guy, and I mean, Alive sticks out as one of the first things I heard, which is great because I heard him live first. Live one? Yeah, live yeah. one first. Ma- a masterpiece. Yeah, and then, you know, from there it was it was kind of all over the place. But, you know, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, those ones are embedded in me forever. And, again, like, I had to go back to the early ones. Of course. That's um, the beauty of yeah. it, man. That's yeah. the beauty of it. And then, you know... Um, Double platinum, obviously a, a rehash of a lot of didn't stuff. Didn't matter. But, yeah, you but, had to have it. Yeah, but it was Strutter seventy eight on there, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Look at you, that's great. Yeah. So, but that to me, for a chunk of years, you know, probably a solid five six years, I lived, breathed, kiss. I mean, not much else. I liked other music <laughs> and pop stuff, but I had a kiss um, in my bedroom that I shared with my brother. We kind of cycled through bedrooms growing up, but. There was a clo- like kind of a walk-in closet. Um, it, it's not today's walk-in closet, yeah. but it was. A I made it the kiss cabinet, <laughs> and it had I mean wall to wall everything: dolls, lunch boxes, posters, out, yeah. you know, everything you can yeah, think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and my friends that we were all obsessed with it. So, you know, we were we were air kiss band yeah. all the time. So. so, so you fell in love with that band at a really odd time for them because that was their their first four like their their, their dynasty. Had good rock and tunes on it. It was just a musical change for them. Right. That's not when I fell in love with them. That was just my first concert. Oh, I fell okay. in love with them like around Alive. Oh, okay. All yeah. the way back. Like I was you were real, six years old. Yeah, right on. There you Something go. Something like that. There you go. Okay. So, yeah. But your first show was Kiss. Was that your first rock and roll show, period? That was my first concert <clears throat> ever. Kiss. In 79. I was nine Dynasty. years old. Right on. I can, to this moment, picture where I was sitting, the view of the stage, <laughs> them coming off their, out of their colored risers. I mean, all that stuff. But yeah, it, I mean, 
you know, that was that to me at around that time, yeah. like you ask when yeah. I, I yeah, knew yeah, something yeah. or felt something. Yeah. My brother was in a band, the same brother that took me to that concert at the time, and I would go watch him play. Right. And then I saw Kiss, and to me, I think that was the end. I was like, I want to be a, I want to be a rock star. And then Unmasked came out. Yeah, and I just what like, happened? I lost interest. Yeah, I mean, I right mean, there. Yeah, I, I think I heard it and I saw it, and I was kind of fascinated with the album itself yeah. and, and the the cartoon, the comic and stuff. But the music did not grab me the same way in any way that any of the past music had. So by the time the Elder came out, were you just not even paying attention? No, nope, I was into heavy into pop at that point. Like I had gone full force you into had a like million other kids in the exact demographic. Yeah, and I mean I was heavily into like you know Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, um, Prince. Prince, yeah. I mean, that was it was kind of coming at that point. I was listening to it, but not obsessed. But yeah. So, but, you know, and I mean. Okay, so go back to that. It was, uh, you were being exposed to what pop music was offering, obviously, yeah. MTV. And obviously, with, with Unmasked and falling, and their their musical direction falling off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think pre show, too, we were talking a little about like the Animalize, that oh, yeah, era and yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard it and I liked it, but I, n- I never went out and bought it, number so one. So it really didn't reinvigorate you into the, 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 the Unmasked version of the uh, Unmasked, the. The unmasked and non-makeup version. But here's the thing. Okay. There's a lot to that. But like, yeah. I, I had I liked the fact that they took their makeup off. I really did. Okay. I just wasn't like the the songs didn't grab me like so they did. So look it up album didn't do anything for you. No, I mean it does more. It did more so after the fact. Okay. But like, I know we were talking about the production of like Hot in the Shade, but like mm. Hot in the Shade is where they were grabbing me again and um, Revenge. It's melodic. Yeah. I mean. Forever is to me a, one a beautiful, beautiful ballad. Yeah. Um, Revenge though, mm-hmm. really like sucked. You me liked in. it. That's I got yeah. Okay. I, I liked it a lot. It had a little bit more edge to it again. Yeah. It reminded me of older Kiss, like old Kiss. Some of it. It did. Um, Ezrin produced it. The yeah, the original yeah. producer from and, Destroyer. And I, I dug I dug most. Of the, I think I could say I dug most or dig most of the tunes on it. Um. So yeah, I kind of. But but again, that those struck. They they had a revival. When like the pop metal and the hard rock thing came back, you know, like 96. Bon Jovi and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, 20, uh, it's a twenty-year thing, I think. To some I agree. Degree, or a fifteen to twenty years yeah. kind of cycle. Yeah, you see a lot. I mean, I do see a lot of kids on YouTube and stuff now, like learning drum stuff and learning guitar stuff from that era. And I'm like, yes, that's why. Well, I, I think they almost have to. If you if you're young and you fall in love with an instrument. No one current, for the most part, is going to give you any inspiration. Yeah, a few, <laughs> right? I mean, not my many. boy Ray, but not few. Yeah, yeah. No, right. No, but I'm saying of the uh, right. No, well, but Ray's an old soul. Though. He is. I'm saying, like, I'm talking about the younger, yeah. younger players Agreed. aren't are going to give anything. Um, the uh, did you remember the album Kiss did called Carnival of Souls, yes. which was their uh, their reunion tour with original guys? Am I right? Um, well, the original that would have been '96, but they did a grunge album that was kind of not released because they were they did do the reunion tour and then it got released. The fans got a hold of it as fans do, yeah, and started downloading it or sharing it. So they go went ahead and released it, but it was written. I want to say the album was written right after Revenge uh, in 93, 94-ish, when they were really in a state of flux deciding what they were going to do. And right. it, the album is extremely heavy. It's like um, it's not a lost Kiss record. It's an official release. Oh, but yeah. There are some really un, very non-Kiss-like songs on there that I just, there's nothing about that record. Yeah. And I got friends who love that record. 
I, th- I just don't get it. There's a tune or two that were their singles, and I can't think of what they're called. There but... was Rain, Jungle. Oh. Uh, there was really some. So you're some... not, wait, is this still Carnival of Souls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But Revenge Maybe I thought I'm... was great. I didn't think Revenge was grunge. Revenge oh. was just a good heavy rock album. No, even like, even though I, it would probably fall into it, like, for whatever reason, it's probably because Gene sings it, but like, Unholy. <laughs> like, I, that wouldn't be a song I would typically like, but for some reason I like yeah, it. Yeah, I know. know. What I, mean? I get it completely. And like, I just want to... Um, yeah, 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 the, yeah. There's yeah. a good ballad on there every time I look at you. Um, it, there's Heart of Chrome, or is that on... Is that from uh, Hot in the Shade? I think it's from Hot in the Shade. But yeah, I mean... But, look in the mirror? Something about... Uh, in, in in the mirror or something? I don't know. I don't know. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's amazing how that's like an album way later in the band's career, but that is still a long time ago. We're old, pal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I just said this to somebody yesterday somewhere we were talking about music in general, and, you know, it's depressing to some degree that classic rock is now my music, whereas classic rock in my mind was a... It was a set thing. It was, you thought of DVE, you think of Pink Floyd and this and that. And now it's all bunched together. Like, I, I, the 90s is classic rock. Yeah. The early 2000s is, is quote it unquote is. classic. We're, we're dinosaur rock. We are. We are. But, you know, I, I'm okay with that, you know? And so, I, well, th- let me ask you about the Rush thing. Uh, were you a Rush fan growing up? <clears throat> See, I'm, I would say moderately. I, would, that's, that was going to be my guess. You being a vocalist and melodic at, rock, at that was not Rush's yeah, Getty gig. Lee, I mean, <laughs> I love the guy. But, but the thing is, the reason Getty Lee is who they were, I mean, it's because of his distinctive voice yeah. and how insane they were, all musicians. So, yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't, I knew the tunes and I learned older ones as I went along, but I knew the hits more than yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And they, they, they probably would even all cringe at the word hits. Um, exactly. Um, I'm sure they would. But I'm sure they would. But yeah, so I was, I would say moderate to less than moderate, and then in later years, going, wow, they, they were, they were insane. But it was at the time, it was like probably too progressive for me. It was okay. too mental for me, um, even though it's the melodies and everything were all there. But it's just like dig for them sometimes, but they're there. Yeah, but like lyrically and stuff, it didn't grab me. Now I look, I listen, and I look back, and I'm like, holy crap, are they insane? You know, in every possible way. Um, I know losing Peart was. uh, I think we're coming at from slightly different bends. I mean, you being a vocalist and and really loving the song structure and all that. So, me being a kid that was not really a musician at that time, and I played well I guess theoretically I played drums in the band in school so the drumming thing was where I was looking at it from right but just that was that one band that was so weird and so unique in 76 that like nobody yeah knew what they were right no one really cared who they were right but that was intrinsically mine yep and I mean I think <laughs> I think I think the the comparison there at that time was Queen too yeah all over the place they could do yeah. anything they Early wanted Queen yeah, yeah. and they yeah, all yeah, and yeah. people loved it and and that's you know that those two stick out to Good me as point. do whatever the hell you want and they did it kind of works it and it does yep it kind of works too so um did you miss the whole album thing because I was right 
in there at the age I was at. Like albums were everything, man. Just carrying records around. No, no I mean, I had. I, I didn't had, want to go to CDs. I didn't want to go to CDs. Right. I was in. I <clears throat> with again with my older with my older siblings and stuff. I was in the mix of eight tracks. Yeah. And albums, <laughs> and then cassettes quickly came along. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but I mean, I have some older albums. I'm now, you know, at. 50 plus 50 plus years old um i heard him say 37 but i'm, I'm who's counting right? i'm acquiring albums just either redos or old ones that meant something to me along the way like yeah, that marked absolutely. something to me yeah, along that's the way. a good thing to do you know what i mean most of the ones you see floating around here were actually people that knew they meant to me these are gifts that were given to me and that's kind of why i keep them here they're special to me People knew that they would mean something to me right. and they probably knew i didn't have an album collection because my dog ate my albums and that's not a joke I had, I had a dog in the late 90s who literally I had a big long stack of records right from my childhood and my <laughs> dog was going into this closet unbeknownst to me and gnawing on the corners of the cardboard wow I go in there and I look one day and there's just the cardboard around the edge of the vinyl I was like ah I didn't know this was going on for months yeah but but the I romanticize about the era of the album probably more than I should. Yeah. My kids will tell you I do. But why it was so special was <clears throat> that was my window to life as a child. Yep. Me too. Whereas the parents would read a newspaper, and I delivered newspapers, and I would watch TV okay. once in a while. And the radio was amazing because I'd listen to Pirate Games, I'd listen to DVE and Dr. Demento and all this crazy shit on this little radio, but it was those tangible albums that I would hold and feel and read every single yep. line of every... Credit, lyric, everything, everything. you can think you, of. I would read the inner circle, circle in the, on the center, record. you know, and I, would, <laughs> and I would say, why does Bobby's Kiss Destroyer have different writing on his circle than mine? <laughs> mine has this NLB number, his has a different number, and even like on the album, they would etch something like on the vinyl. Uh, along the edges, yep. Not like, you know, because you were starved you for were information. You were highly analytical you for were, that stuff. I, I'm the least analytical person in the world, though. That's the irony of it. I was just starved for information on something that, that moved me. This music moved me, and I knew that You wanted to know, my know everything parents, about it. Yeah, it, it was funny about the, the dichotomy, though, because I loved Kiss, you know, which was very simple, straight-ahead rock. But somehow, my weird brain just loved Rush because of the uniqueness, right? Mm -hmm. But if someone gave me a Pink Floyd record or an ELP record, that was more my mom's music. You know what I mean? Like, this was intrinsically mine. Right. No one... And then when Tom Sawyer came out in 81 and became a hit... All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I kind of waned. <laughs> yeah, because everybody else <laughs> yeah, was there. Yeah, right. Is that, is that a human experience or what? It is. And I mean, that's you know, that's the same way with me and the, the bands that I love. Like, I'm believe me, I still love the bands that were and some still are big. But like, again, the the thing my college roommate and I are going to do, we, we want to talk about like the obscure ones because it, they became ours and. Like, we had to explain them to people and where they're from. Coney and, Hatch. Yeah. I mean, well, I, do you remember a band, one of my favorite bands and vocalists? you remember the band TNT by chance? Oh, absolutely. 10,000 Lovers, yeah, that kind of stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, adore, adore, adore. Right like, on. Top to bottom. Right on. And Tony Harnell is one of my, he's the vocalist. Right on. One of my favorite vocalists. And you either got them and, and know who they are today or you don't. And like I have friends that are were like they might have been more into the that era than me maybe, um, and they missed 
like the TNT thing and a couple. I'm like, how how do you miss that? I don't understand. If you were that into it, they can name me some stuff. That I'm like, oh, okay, I'm impressed. <laughs> but then I, I say, well, what about TNT? You mean the song? I'm like, no, the band. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Not ACDC, buddy. Yeah. So, but you know, it's 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 whatever you were exposed to and. So I, you did get the album thing oh, like, yeah. as a kid. Like, yeah. that was your thing. Yeah. I mean, it quickly went, Changed to CDs. Well, it quickly changed to cassettes for- Oh, yes. I'm sorry. For all of the 80s. And I didn't get- I didn't own my first CD until, I want to say, 90, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I tell you, so, so because I was again like I was probably loyal to cassettes. Yeah, I get it. No, <laughs> and no. all my equipment was cassettes, so I just held out as long as I could. And then I finally went. You know what? I I need to make the jump. Um, Good. No, no, no. I was just just this is a crazy story. I had my first real job out of high school because I didn't want to go to college. Obviously, grades prove that. Uh, <laughs> I got this job at a place called National Drager right up here in Robinson Township, and I'm like. I'm 18, right? And I'm in this lunchroom with all these adults <laughs> working with them day in, day out. And this guy comes in and he sits on the table of this really weird silver box. And this is 84. And he goes, check this out. And he pulls out this little plastic box and opens it up and there's this round disc and it says Pink Floyd. On He puts it in, plugs this thing in, and nothing came out of it. But he lifted the lid open, and he set this silver disc in, closed it and down. And it was a CD. It was a CD. It's a top-loading CD player. In 84. In 84. Wow. I guess the technology came out in 83. He goes, this is the future of the way you're going to listen to your music. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Get I would have said the, the same thing. Out. Get the fuck I'm out like, of here. No, baby, I got my cassettes. Yeah, come on, man. I got 20 cassettes I burned in my car. You know, my albums are still relevant, you know, because right. that's the source of the music, right? right? But was that guy right? Wow. <laughs> and, Four uh, years later, I got, I got an old album. I want to know what that guy paid for that. Both, like the I disc can't imagine. He was, an en- he was an engineer. Oh, uh, maybe he was part of the whole. I don't know, but he said to me, because this is the future of music. Now, he couldn't play it, but he, we, was, we saw it spin. On this lunch table, and he was a you know he's he was an engineer. He was a different class than we were, but it was. I looked at that going, that is insane. What is that called? It's a compact disc. You're gonna call it a CD. Wow. I remember him saying that's pure wow. as could be. And wasn't that guy right? Yeah, and I mean that's a. I mean, not how many people can say that that you had that experience. That's that's pretty nice. And how much did that top loading CD player actually cost him in '84? That's what. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like it had to. It's insane unless he was somehow involved in the production of it or whatever but did you think it was cool when you got cds when you saw like because it was smaller did you think it was cool or did you really immediately go i can't read a goddamn liner notes no i didn't think that i was i was fascinated with and hopeful of the sound like the quality because it was all digital and technically it wasn't it wasn't no no you thought i mean a lot of aad yeah you you got you got the impression it was at least the perception the lie but to me it was more so to the foreverness of a disc as long as you took care of it no scratches right yeah because there was an organic element of the needle hitting the vinyl correct and and a cassette tape and a cassette tape got worn out or broken or stretched or so that was the other thing i'm like these are forever you know and to me they they weren't (laughs) well they are still i mean i still have my they're digital yeah right but you can damage them you can but if you take care of them i mean they'll for the most part last as long as you take care of them um, and I, I still pull from them when I start like building a collection and I want to rip 
stuff off to a computer and blah blah blah. Oh, it's still amazingly more personal than downloading something, no right? I mean, you no have doubt. something tangible you can hold. It's just smaller, right. and you got a little small book instead of a big. Album. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I, again, it doesn't really matter. But there's, a, I think, there's a generation of us. I agree. That just were so used to having that that lost something. Then. Right, and I think like for you and I. Again, I I dug albums and like you know Alive Two things like that. Looking at them, I remember them fascinating me. But I think that four year gap is where your true love of albums is different from like my. I think I, I really fell in love with CDs. Could be. when they first came out. Could be. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm trying like I'm almost embarrassed. I was trying to think of the first CD that I bought, and I, I shouldn't be embarrassed, but <laughs> because I was just. Again, I was so sucked into tapes, but I'm gonna. Come on, t- it was Menudo. Come on, I don't don't lie. You're gonna you're gonna think <laughs> you're gonna think it's not far off, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to lead into it. But when I heard this female's voice for the first time, I was just awestruck. Okay, Mariah Carey. Oh yeah, first yeah, yeah, disc. Yeah, Her first album is absolutely insane. And like oh, I, the range. Yeah, I the never range, knew what right? she looked like. I just fell in love with her voice, and then I saw what she looked like, and I fell in love with that too. I'm not gonna lie. Well, of course, but. I wanted, like, it wasn't that it, that, that was going to be my first disc. It just happened to be that. But I'm like, well, this is a good quality album to have on digital, C- you know, blah, blah, blah. You're starting your collection, yeah. right? So, but from they there. They were kind of cool to line up on a shelf, weren't oh, they? <laughs> so then, you know, I had to go back and replace my entire cassette collection with CDs, which is what everybody did as the technology's changed. But yeah, some I re- people did. I remember, um, wow, that's a good question. My first CD, I think it was Kiss Lick It Up. Because and that would have been like eighty eight maybe yeah but I mean like it's that. still fairly early into when they really caught on good point so um, not to get too nerdy but let's get nerdy there was yeah there was the early pressings if I use that word of remasters well remasters meaning the remaster to digital right were fucking horrible yeah. There's a warble in there. Like I, I still have. This is this is unbelievable. But I still have an old first pressing CD of the record Kiss Asylum, where it was. T- and that, it was funny because the album came out in '85, at the same time that the CDs were starting to come on right. the scene. Yep. The point was the first pressing of that record to digital was so poorly done. I know they were all mastered by George Marino at Sterling Sound. Right. That was like every record, right? Right. But whatever George was fucking doing, whatever he was smoking there, <laughs> I was just he, say wasn't, was... he wasn't doing much. That, and it's been remastered and redone multiple times in releases. It's Kiss, right? There's how many greatest right. albums are there? Right. The point is, it's so much more pure now, the experience. But that first CD to me is unlistenable. I can right. tell immediately. Put it in like, oh my god! This now at the time we didn't really right. listen critically, right? right? But what was it with the early pressings of CDs that were so poor? I mean, sampling I, I, rates. Well, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, even think about. Um, I, I compare that to like maybe music videos. Okay. So people translate from a VHS tape that they had. <laughs> to converting it to digital, which yeah. I've done, yeah. and posting it on YouTube and stuff. <laughs> and then you want to blow it up to an HD monitor or yeah. whatever. A 480 line and of it's, resolution. It's and these it's huge grainy. blocks, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they were just taking old analog sources and making them digital, which, you know, and then there's that there's a process in between that was brand new. So who knows what the outcome of that was going to be. And that's I, what happened. And I think that's what happened originally. They're like, oh, we, we fucked that up. We got to figure out a way to make this better if we're going to take old masters. Right. And, and, you know, and then software came along, 
where it interpolated it and upgraded it. Like it upgraded the sound before it made it to that disc. And that's the same with like, you remember video discs? Oh yeah. And VCDs or something. Yeah, VCDs. Um, I forget what the other name of that was, but they were- Laser discs. Laser discs. That's what I'm thinking. The big ones. Yes. That, that's the same thing. I think they started off with a similar thing, although laser discs were pretty good. So they must've had a software- early on that was able expensive to kind of like upgrade the video and even now like i see you know videos in general music videos a couple of them stick out where uh, a band or the record company or whoever was associated made an effort to upgrade the quality of the video to an Michael hd Jackson quality stuff. yeah where it wasn't originally so oh, I just, I like, like up they call it upscaling or something correct yeah and I think it's even beyond that now. It's better than that now. Wow. But But I think the same thing happened with audio. And along, over the years, the technology, the software, and everything was able to improve the transition from just hard, old, okay. analog masters to going digital. Okay, so um, a little aside. Uh, Are we done being nerdy? No, we're going to get real nerdy <laughs> here in a second. Okay. Um, I'm coming at this as a, from a guitarist standpoint. Okay. I'm asking a vocalist. Oh, boy. And we're going to coexist in the same room, believe it or not. Oh, boy. But would you not agree that early digital effects were fucking horrible? Yeah. Early guitar yeah. digital effects were just... Yeah. But, but at some point, maybe it was even in the early 90s, I don't know, but at some point, it got so good. My question to you is, as we sit in 2021... Is analog actually not even relevant anymore because digital oversampling is so good right now that the emulation is so good from a vocal standpoint that tube mics and all these high-end analog mics, $8,000 mics, are really kind of just a thing to spend money on because the digital technology actually is so good you can't distinguish in your ear between the two. Yeah, I, I, I hype. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, I think whether it's whether whether it's a true um, perception, like somebody hearing it or not, but I think the hardcores will tell you no. There's nothing well, like analog. Well, of course, but but I but <laughs> I used I, to be. But I think of people like my friend Rick Gallagher, incredible jazz pianist in the city and stuff. Has released no many many albums on his own and stuff. And he'll we sit and have conversations about. It. He's like, dude. He goes. The baby grand I can pull up in Ableton Live is maybe better than the ones I've recorded with, and and for him to say that, and he's he's that say? old school hardcore. What's for him to say, say that, I'm like, yeah. I mean, the the technology has surpassed, at least caught up to, or surpassed the original analog sound, if it whatever you want to call well, it. Why I ask that is in my home right now. I have a uh, it's called a Roland VG7. Yep whatever but it's from 2000 it's a digital modeling app yep and some things are great some effects are not but you add 20 years on to roland's ability to really dial it in with technology the newer products are just in freaking distinguishable there's no tinny there's no warble and they're smaller they're smaller and they can hold more i mean and i think that's a huge huge thing because like you're saying, all the layers and things like that to get that sound, it takes so much processing and, and space and memory and all that stuff to so that's a, that's a driver to encapsulate then. it. Yeah, that's a driver. Yeah, and I think and that's my whole point is I you know I'm I used to not be a fan of digital technology and granted analog tube amp analog tube amp right. I was surrounded by them right. I was old school, but 
you know, and even transistors to me were just garbage because they were just noisy. But when some people would show me these incredible digital modeling and some of the rack units, yep. I mean, I it's not distinguishable anymore. I yep. mean, we're we're just kidding ourselves. I agree. Which, yeah. which, I mean, even within even within my band, I mean. Um, Suitcase Johnny Wachlow, he's not in the band anymore. He's a founding member of Nomad. But like he, um, man, I'm trying to, I should know. Oh, Vox. He was yeah, a, yeah. He's a big Vox yeah. guy. Well, how and, can you not be there? Right. Legendary. And he went, he started out with, you know, probably a more uh, standard type amp and moved along to like this pedal system that had all that stuff. And we there were times where we had to do a show in an extremely small area and he'd just bring the pedal. And we never, you never know the difference. Well, convenience-wise, the best thing ever. Yeah, exactly. It's just getting over the mental hurdle that you're playing through a digital interface. Exactly. And is it going to produce my sound? Right. And you don't have that thing behind you hitting you in the back that some people love. You don't feel the wind. Right. That some people love. Yeah, good point. That's a very good point. But, I mean, you can still have the cabinet. Yeah. The interface could be digital. True. True. Or you can, I mean... You could have your mo- if you're using a wedge, you'd get kind of get that feeling too. But um, I would say it's probably not the same as an amp. But we're going all over the place technology wise. But right. then we jump to in ears, which I our know. band is completely in ears. Yeah, which has ruined music, by the way, or live music. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, and no. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a one ear one Does ear in one ear you? out. Yeah, I okay. mean, it changed my singing. Okay, why? How? Um, because I had to survive. Like, you know, my our early bands, um, even some of the people that were Nomad were in early rock bands with me and stuff. Bob Kunkel and I have been yeah. together forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, where I was surrounded with sound to the point where I couldn't hear myself, to the point where it was affecting my hearing. I mean, all kind of stuff. And I, like, I wasn't a person that could hear all that and filter out everything else and, and tune my voice the way I needed to do it. Okay. Soon as in ears came along, man. I, I mean, I, I I'm trying to think if I started out with a, like being kind of a both in ear, you know, both ears in guy or not. I think I did because I wanted to block out some of the loud. Um, but uh, you know, shortly thereafter, I became like a one ear in, one ear out guy because I needed that natural Ambiance. surround. Yeah. But I also yeah. needed to hear my voice clearly to got it project it the right way I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, without yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, it was more so in the early days was I was killing my voice and i was almost yelling forcing out because i couldn't hear myself i thought i had even though i had a mic in front of me i felt i had to be that way a lot of singers probably really they do there, i right? mean and, and and like talking you were talking about being friends with abby uh-huh um from um yeah poverty I, neck yeah i wanted to say hillbilly way yeah i wanted to say poverty neck, but i don't say uh, they um, were a great band oh they were but I hillbilly don't, I don't, way is a great band but I, don't, I think abby would prefer we say hillbilly way. i know i know um and it's thw these days it by is the way. it is it um, is thw but anyway like him and i i think had conversations about in-ears and i know they're they use them currently but they he was he hated them for years and years and years and i'm like dude you got to give them a more of a chance. I, I I said I I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I go and I was kind of there at one point, but they just they saved my voice and they changed the way I sang. And you know when I can hear myself clearly mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. I have I know that I can control myself better. I don't have to force it. I don't have to put more stress on my voice and stuff. So that's just me. <laughs> I can't help it. This is just such a funny story when I talk about uh, having monitors and in ears. Um, uh, I was listening to an autobiography. Did you ever hear the story of uh, when 
Johnny Rotten finally got monitors that he could actually hear. Mm -mm. They were like a year in, and he never had monitors. They had no money. So he's just singing, and he's wondering why people really aren't like getting it, you know? Because I I thought I sounded great. (laughs) And then the first time we borrowed monitors from the opening act, they're from another act. We had, or we, we, we were at the opening act, and we had we were using the monitors from the headliner. And the first time I heard myself, I said, "Wow, I sound really bad." <laughs> but why well, stop now? I'm not joking doing it. So, but he ended up like I guess he, it was so disturbing to him. He ended up jamming the mic stand through the monitor because couldn't believe that part he of the was story. I might remember bad. You yeah. know, it just it's just funny, but. It's true. I mean, and, if you, he probably never knew what that, he sounded like. And that was me. Like, you know, it'd be, you know, my first bands were hard rock bands. And I mean, you, you remember places like someplace else. Oh my God. Yes. And it was, I mean, it, it was the place to go deaf. If you would have no stayed there no doubt. for your life playing, no you would doubt. definitely be deaf. And that, that was the thing, like surrounded with walls of sound from every angle you can't hear yourself. You might think you're singing one note, but you're right really on. not. And that was me a lot of the time. And I'm like, and I mean, I didn't start using in ears until way late in the game. But yeah. any um, after effects? I mean, do you have ringing now? Or do you lose any? Here? No, and it's uh, I, I don't to this moment. Um, and I think you know, probably since since Nomad's been in existence, and being in like the country music scene, it's definitely a, lo- a little bit laid back. Mm. So that saved me to some degree. And then there was a big span of years where I wasn't in a group and I wasn't performing live so that helped me too it was a a shorter span where it was full on Um, but like I think of like my mother suffers from serious bad tinnitus tinnitus however you pronounce it Um, and I almost have to think that might be my future regardless because I expose myself to a lot of loud stuff coming along even going to live shows where my mom like did not as far as I can think of and she's dealing with Isn't it big that time. strange it is because I, I I have it and it uh, at times is it's very disturbing okay is it for real though is it tinnitus or tinnitus I call it tinnitus okay I've heard people Medical argue about professionals it. call it tinnitus oh, okay um so there are two schools at least I didn't know I've heard professional artists who have it call it tinnitus tinnitus I've heard him call it tinnitus. Uh, tinnitus is easier to say, right? Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's more comfortable. Yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine, like, how can a... You take any of these legacy bands that have played forever, how can they not have some kind of issue? And I, I almost assure you they do. I mean, like, I'm a, I want to say, I think I'm right in saying that, like, did Petty have it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he dealt with it pretty bad. And I mean... You know, I just, I can't imagine. And and I, I, I'm trying to think, of, maybe it was just a movie I'm thinking of where they, they switched somebody to ears who had pretty severe um, tinnitus. And, you know, it definitely helped them, but they still had hearing loss and things like that. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It's it, it. I can't imagine exposing yourself to it. Like Kiss, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of the years they were just cranking it out and to be at one of their concerts. I mean, they, but. Loudest band I, in the world, man. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what they. That was a moniker for a yeah. while. Whether so, it was true or not didn't I mean, matter. Right? I've never heard them ever discuss it in any of their lives. That doesn't mean they don't have it, but yeah, um, I know Paul has has. He was born deaf in one ear, so he only has hearing in one ear. Never any, knew, anyway. Never, never knew that. So I don't know how that's really affecting. Wow. You know, I wonder how that would affect your vocals. You know, yeah, I mean, one it, it, like if I plugged my ear and did that all the time, that would be rough. I mean, I think that would be rough now. Again, like 
basing it on me, I was a one ear, one ear out guy. In yeah. ears yeah, would have yeah, helped yeah. me in that sense where I'm yeah. getting full everything, at least in one ear. Who's the greatest rock and roll singer oh, you've ever heard? I'm putting you on this. the spot. Oh, yeah. Who's the greatest vocalist, period? I'm putting you on the spot. Are we talking no. about skill level or are we talking about overall whole package? You're not looking at them. You're just listening to them. So if you heard, you put the record on, you didn't have an album sleeve to look at, and you just listen to bodies of material, and it's just whatever. And again, it's specific to what you dig. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't a it talent is. thing. It's it is. specific to what what vocalist really moves you like no one else does. I mean, the, I mean, I guess for if it was a gut reaction or gun to your head, Freddie Mercury come, is the first guy that comes to my mind. I mean, can you describe why? He again, he wasn't the most technically incredible vocalist but what he could do he had a great falsetto he had a great gruff he had somewhere in the middle a solid where he could belt um and i think the bottom line with him was just he could emote everything he sang like you felt everything he sang and you know the the fact that he was a known openly gay guy mm-hmm. in a time where it wasn't anywhere near acceptable. And he was singing about gay things. No question. And people still loved it and accepted it. To me, that it proved that he conveyed his emotions about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think if I want to break free and the music video comes to mind and stuff, I'm like, uh, to me, like parents at that time seeing that their heads had to explode. But kids that love queen they didn't give two shits they were like yeah, and that's the power of music 100 percent. that's the power of music when yep. it went when your love for that group of people and their art is so strong that yeah you're not worried about a label that's put on them they yep. might be socially unacceptable and i mean again you get we i go back to i think a you know two bands stand out there are there are definitely more but like um queen and rush they were just in their own world and people loved them for it yep they did whatever the hell they wanted and people loved it they ate it up and like that they're another example of if you don't hear the whole album you don't have a clue who queen is because it's just you know uh sheer heart attack that album was just insane and i mean from uh all that jazz all that stuff i mean it was mm-hmm. everywhere, and I mean, yeah, it's an experience. Listening that album is a listening experience in and of its own right. Yeah. Whereas, uh, I would probably say there are not a lot of casual Rush fans. People either Agreed. really dig them or dig them moderately, or no one just casually. Maybe oh, that Tom Sawyer song is pretty cool. You right. might get a couple of those people, right. or you have people that just can't. Right. them because right. it requires effort right it's a uh, band that requires effort right either don't get them or can't stand them and, and the reason right. they can't stand them they probably couldn't even explain a Ex- lot of times exactly right you know what i mean oh it's the voice or it's too the songs are too long or, or too complex or i don't understand okay. what they're singing about that's okay it's just that's their choice right and they're missing out on to right. me i think i'm missing out on a lot but i yeah there's no casual rushing and probably kind of the same with queen i look yeah. at queen like you're really you know, there are hits. There's more hits with Queen than Rush. But right. ultimately, to really understand the entire body of work, it's pretty deep. Right. You take Kiss, it's not deep. Right. I mean, it's every song kind of stands on its own. I would say Destroyer may have had a theme. Right. The Elder, they tried to have a theme. But no other of their albums need to be heard in their entirety right. to get the fucking vibe. Exactly. <laughs> and But the, the thing about Kiss is, I think, like, again, this is years later, like, if you tear apart some of their songs, old and even into the newer stuff, 
they're better than you think they are. Song structure wise, yeah. for sure. And, and even performance. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think people regard Gene Simmons as, they might re- regard him as an average to not great bass player. Oh, I would disagree. I 100% disagree. And if you listen, I mean... It's not a bass line. He had some shit going on, you know, but... Well, all are Beatles fans, too. And that's, I think, exactly. kind of, like, helped the song, song structure, right? Agreed. And, I mean, it, that's the thing. Like, um, you know, even with the Beatles, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a, an expert for there. I love them, I respect them, but not an expert. But it all came down to, like, just that melody and that song, you know what I mean? So, and I go back to the Kiss tunes, like, you know, Flaming Youth, Shout It Out Loud, all those tunes... All I heard and cared about was the melody and the energy and the theme. At the time, I didn't give a shit about the performance and who was doing what. You know, and I mean, knowing what I know now as well, I think of, you know, Peter Chris as a drummer. Wasn't the greatest drummer, but he played important stuff where it needed to be played. Um, it was the right four guys at the right time. Exactly. It was the chemistry at the time, no doubt. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and, and it's, But it's fascinating to be the age we are and to look back at some of the things that we loved growing up and look at it now with a different kind of ear. And for you being a vocalist over, over the past 35, 40 years, for you to go back and look at that music, my, my next question would be, can you really appreciate music as a fan and separate that critical ear because I know as a very average guitar player that I am, going back and listening to early Kiss tunes makes me appreciate Ace Freely more than I might have when I wasn't really playing. Right. Does that make any sense? Like oh, yeah. I would dismiss him as being, well, he's no Eddie Van Halen or he's no, you know, uh, he, he's no Richie Blackmore. Right. But when I became a player, I would say, wow, there's more going on here than meets the eye. So can you listen to music and enjoy it just for what it is, or do you find yourself tearing songs apart? Well, because I'm like an an old curmudgeon at this point. I I don't think so. Well, I mean, I I am... I I don't... It's rare that I can listen to a song, and and i got to say, like, a lot of... Uh, country music these days which I barely listen to anymore I'm, right. I'm going to be honest right. um, but it's hard for me to listen to a song without kind of like dissecting it um, there are just tunes that newer tunes or, or um, from bands I love and stuff that I hear out of the box it just might be straight ahead rock tunes and I'm like air drumming to them and stuff and again they just give me a good feeling so I don't necessarily tear them apart and I understand it for what it is but yeah most tunes I'll be like eh, I don't like what he did there vocally or you know the the melody's boring, or there should have been a guitar solo there instead of nothing. I mean, you know. All so, kind of, so is your experience just different than an average fan in that you're looking for something different in the song before you determine to say, okay, that's okay. Yeah, I think, and I mean, what, you know, here's the thing: I, I I cannot play any instrument well, and I'm ashamed of that, and I've been for years. I really am. I mean, I do consider I can't my instrument well either. I, I, I do consider, yeah, <laughs> and I do consider my voice an instrument. I really do, and I think I'm okay at it. I think I could be much better at it, but I just never, and I don't put enough time to, into it. But the one thing I've always appreciated, and I like on every level, every instrument, like. There's drummers I adore. There's guitarists I adore and respect right. and know exactly right. Right, to right, me right, that they right. are gods. Right. You know? Right. Um, keyboardists, everything. And I would say I'm I'm a little out of the ordinary in that way for, for not playing an instrument and being just a vocalist. In what context? Like what do you mean out of the ordinary? The fact that I really like there I can give you a list of drummers and, you know, guitarists and everything that I 
I could just watch them play. Okay. Period. Okay. You know, like drummers, um, you know, Mike Portnoy. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Another planet. They're like and the, his replacement, Mangini, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. They're like the they're you know, they're the the newer versions of Rush. Yeah. Um Good Dream point. Theater's one of my favorite. You hear that favorite. Alex and Getty? Go get him. Yeah. Start playing music again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Dream Theater is one of my favorite favorite bands, and they oh, were right they were a game changer for me in '92 or whatever. In what way? Uh, they probably because I didn't see that coming. That's more that's more progressive and more. Uh, I don't know. I did. I, yeah. I didn't see that coming. I don't know. Like they um, Rush at one point said, if we were ever going to replace Neil, they'd pick Portnoy. Right. And to me, I hear so much Rush. There's no question in Dream Theater. Okay. I really do. Interesting. And it was, again, like I was blown away by the fact that the complexity of their tunes, the length of their tunes, which I'm not, I was never a long tune guy. Yeah. Um, well, you're but, the vocalist. <laughs> yeah, true. True. And, 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 but their tunes, the talent that every yeah. one of the musicians oh, had, yeah. Yeah. and, it, but again, it went back to the melodies and the, the meanings of the songs just, totally right. embrace me right, right, images right. and words to me is oh, a yeah. masterpiece yeah and um awake their their follow-up to that masterpiece it's just yeah. i was just having a conversation with someone a, a person about it on facebook the other day and and she hadn't heard awake and i'm like she's like i know dream theater i know images and words like note for note yeah, word yeah, for yeah. word i'm like me too i go yeah. you need to check out awake and some stuff yeah, after yeah, that yeah. so i mean i just i think i'm a little different in that way the fact that i'm not skilled in any way as an instrumentalist and I'm I'm only a vocalist but I still like I adore and appreciate when I see a kick-ass fill or you know drum fill or just something really different in a guitar lead that kind of stuff that I know other I'll sit and have conversations like potentially with other vocalists and then they're not they don't even think about that stuff they don't look at that stuff okay and I'm not calling myself special it's just something I really grew to appreciate over the years yeah and I think it's for a lot of the bands that I liked early on and then different things through pop and then getting back into the rock and metal stuff where I'm like, wow, there's some just incredible players out there. And, you know, like I think of Paul Gilbert, who's from here, mm-hmm. just phenomenal songwriter mm-hmm. and monster guitarist, all around cool guy, can sing. I mean, I, I, you know, I want to punch him in the face because he's so talented. And did you ever, have you seen his version of the Spice Girls song? <laughs> no. When Two I, Become One? No, I can tell you right now. You, you got to go to YouTube. I will check it out. You got to go to YouTube and download that. It's unbelievable. No, it's like a real thing. I think he started doing it in the clinics in Japan as a joke and it caught on. Then he had to go and release it. That's great. <laughs> I think so. But That's great. Talk about the writing process for you. Are you writing during the pandemic? Have you been able to write during the pandemic? Sadly, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I have a, I have a, uh, uh, it's a, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the app Evernote. No. Just a, it's a basically. Oh, a, oh, a, a memo note. Yeah. Or a, essentially. A, like I mean, a, you can do yeah, everything with it. Note to yourself. Yeah. I, for yeah, yeah, yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, either a voice recording. Elephant logo on it or something? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. So for years, I either do voice notes on my phone or use Evernote. And my, my writing process, quote unquote, is. It, it it usually comes with a phrase or wording that stand out to me and I say I can make a story out of that or I can create a song out of that and then melody okay. or occasionally a melody something might stick in my head that I think is original it's probably been done a billion times before um, and then I build from that and, and because I don't really play anything I rely on um, uh, Rick Gallagher again a close friend of mine um, to 
put a foundation to the song or somebody in the band, a guitarist, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just to put a rhythm guitar behind it or whatever. I might have a beat in mind, but usually, um, you know, Bob is usually the guy. Oh, I mean, Bob's a phenomenal songwriter on his own in every way, but he's usually the guy that helps me build the rhythm of things because sometimes can you hear it can you hear the melodic nature of the words yeah i can and that's i i i'm i feel just honored to be able to do that because i again i talk to other singers and stuff and i uh, don't write when i can't i can't hear a melody and I, i'm like wow and i'm like wow, i yeah. just think it's because i consumed so much music in my lifetime and like i was able um, you know even the 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 first band i was telling you about I think I contributed to like 50% of a 12 song album and three or four of those songs are like kind of solidly mine from start to finish. I just gave people instruction as to how I wanted it to sound. Yeah. And we worked through it until we were like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. but like I, I do, I just, I, I hear when I hear a phrase in particular, I'm like, I've never heard that as a song. That could be a great story. And a lot of them are common phrases mm -hmm. that we use and, 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 you know, whether that's kind of like the cliche thing to do, it is in country music a lot. You don't say. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, sometimes I try to work a different angle from yeah. it and things like that. I mean, uh, George Elliott and I, George, monster bassist, um, he's in Nomad and 50 other things. Um, he wrote a tune for our latest EP called A Day Late that, that you have. Right. Um, and he came to us and he called it... Uh, he goes, this is my, and he's not, he would be probably almost ashamed for me to say this because he kind of rebelled against the newer hard rock hair metal stuff after he thought it got watered down. Okay. So he came to me or came to us and he's like, this is my kickstart my heart version of a country tune. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> you know? And he had he had the whole song kind of down. Guitar, he's a guitarist too, right? Guitarist and bass parts down. Bob put a, a rhythm behind it and stuff. And he could like he usually prefers to like all of us. I think we we kind of prefer to write our entire song as compared to doing it as a group. It's just Got always it. been that way. Got it. Although there are some contributions here and there, but um, he could not come up with a melody or an idea for the tune and i start he's like would you mind playing with it? i'm like dude i'd be honored you know so took a while and i came up with a theme first um a title and a theme that he didn't he, he wasn't big on until he heard the whole tune got it the whole tune's called drive me to drink okay and the you would autom to me you would automatically think you're gonna drive me crazy you're gonna drive me to start drinking but the if you listen to the tune, the tune is you're taking me out drinking, like you owe me this blah blah blah. So it's a little you know it's a right. little twist on the tune, but right right right. The lyrics in the 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 middle section and things like that, you know, I incorporated like Uber into it and all kind of other stuff. And I just the end result, I I was surprised that the first time he heard it, he's like, dude, this is exactly what I this is what I envision. I'm like, perfect, you know, and it came hmm. out good. So that's that's just one of the. Is it hard to find originality today? I would say, yeah, just only only because, I mean, you've heard the phrase, it's already been done. It's, you know. Yeah, but they ain't been saying that for decades, though. Right. I mean, they, they were telling Jimmy Page that, right? Right, right. And I mean, you know, I want to say a couple ideas that I've had were original, but, you know, like there were a tune off of our first disc that uh, Geo Bennett, original founding member of Nomad, he's not in the band anymore either, um, 
uh, I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank on the title, but it has a big string intro. Okay. And we love the string intro and it's a ballad. Um, and later on, like <laughs> years after the fact, him and I are two of the biggest Bon Jovi fans on the face <laughs> of the earth. It's friggin' never say goodbye. It's like, it's not the entire like phrase. But obviously, that was the internal inspiration for it, right? Maybe not, not really. Or coincidentally, I mean, it was total coincidence. Right, right, uh, right. He he wrote another tune called "Farmer's Daughter" and has this guitar riff at the beginning, and I had never heard that riff. I thought in my life, and and I have to go ask him or dig it up. But somebody came to him and go, you know, you ripped that off from so and so, and Geo again was a fan of this group. It was a group, and he's like, I never. It, Put the but two together. There's only so many finite notes, right? Right. There's only so many ways. They could, I mean, come on. Right. I just, I think it comes down to, um, you know, presentation a lot. And yeah. even the way you sing something, yeah. you know, you yeah, can sound yeah, like yeah. an insane person as compared to just a somebody that sings. Yes. And and people dig that, yes. you know? Agreed. Or, the, Agreed. Or, or, you know, go back to the grunge thing or the, you know, the punk thing. There's just an anger. I mean, it's, you know, I just think combining to me like today's people were looking for everything they can grasp that they relate to today mm -hmm. and i think that artists that try to touch on different things different eras different uh genres and combine it those are the like people that are most successful do you like Greta van fleet you know when i first heard a question ask anyone our age that you know yeah when i first heard them i'm like Wow, they're pretty good, and I was happy that they were a young band that were trying to. Well, I don't know if they were trying to emulate Zeppelin. I have you have to think they are. Sure, sounds like um, it to me. But the more I heard them, and the more I heard people talk about them and make and point out things, it made me think like they're not all they're cracked up to be. In what way? They're kind of like I. They're kind of like created they're kind of staged they're kind of it was all intentional and they, re they really weren't pulling from inspiration or anything like that oh, i think they were derived i think it was i think the idea was that there's a need for that kind of music and someone got those kids to believe into it that there, there's a marketing niche there because it's not being filled and that may be the case yeah i mean i i, I agree with you there so yeah i mean I mean, I, they're they're much more listenable than a lot of stuff. I'll tell you that. But what I again, what I go buy the product, nah, probably not. I'll go listen to Zeppelin first. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to dislike them because they they sound a lot like Zeppelin because I like Zeppelin. Yeah, so and I, I don't I don't dislike them. I just don't care about them. Yeah, I don't know if their original stuff is going to resonate with me only because it's too reminiscent of something else. Right, that you love. Right, you it's know? almost a violation. That yeah, it's being but but. There's parts of it I, I listen. I'm like, wow, that is like, had that come out like 30 years ago, right? I would be like, they should be playing this on the radio instead of like Depeche Mode. Yeah, and, I, <laughs> and, and, and well, but even today, I would say, you know, for all the the young groups and and art solo artists and things that um, are emulating things that I loved, if they could bring that back, and not not necessarily bring the groups that I love back because they're all older now and stuff. They're all a lot of them are still torn and playing yeah. and stuff like yeah, I said. Yeah, yeah. But to bring that sound back would make me happy. I mean, because I want to hear, you know, that that energy and that happiness and that kick of that guitar and is that is that what is missing in modern music? Do you think I do? Yeah, I mean, it's but again, is that two old fuddy duddies? 
Could saying, be. Nah. Could be. I just like even even the rock of the last twenty years. There's like just small bits and pieces where I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, um, Simmons thinks it's dead. Gene Simmons says, and he said it eight nine years ago. Rock and roll is dead. Yeah, you think that was an overstatement, or you think there's any validity to that? I mean, you know, it's tough. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I think it'll never be what it was. But again, is that an old guy saying that? I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I think of like I think of my buddy Ray, and I think of Corn, who I was never ever a fan of. Um, now they're classic rock. <laughs> they're classic rock, <laughs> or, or, or are they classic new metal? What are they? I don't know. But yeah, so but like they're again since uh, it's not necessarily since he joined the band, but like they were at a point when he joined the band where they were not in a good space. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he walked into this band not knowing much about them, not um, really digging their music too much, but he auditioned for them and blew their minds and stuff. But he walked in having really never used drugs in his life, barely yeah. ever drinking, yeah. and them seeing that, and they're like, maybe I don't have to be this way. Got it. Um, I don't one, know. One religious, right? Head. Head. Yeah, Brian Welch. Yeah. yeah, he went. He left the band for years. because Is he back? He's back. He's still straight? He's still... He's on the straight beaten path. Wow. And the thing is, one of the reasons he came back was because he saw they made a change, not an incredible one at the time, but it's been it's been a growing, improving change. And with that, like, again, I would have never listened to a corn record in my life. Yeah, not my thing. Um, they released uh, they released a record or two early on with Ray, and he was kind of green to it. Like, they were writing and saying, play this. Right. But it, it, it changed quickly, and he's a full-fledged member of Korn now. Very cool. And their newer albums, like, I never thought I would give a chance. And there's tunes on there. I'm like, like Jonathan Davis yeah. now is a master of melody and, and can now sing and things like yeah and he's trying to sing in, in a in a good space but right. my whole point of bringing that up was they're a band that they have a, they still have a pretty crazy following oh yeah um pretty loyal following no in, in the sense that they can play um arenas they can play uh Sheds. amphitheaters Sheds, yeah. with groups you know with a, another group or two and fill the place and rock the place out like i've been to a few now where i'm looking around going people are like they're just totally into it so i'm like in that sense and I, you know maybe i shouldn't have used them as the example is is rock dead but i just think that they're an example of bands that have survived that are still making original new music no question releasing new albums no question and they're not relying on the album sales anymore um no. but but who is to to, yeah, exactly. But to be touring at that level still gives me a little bit of hope. And I mean, you know, bands like Greta Van Fleet hopefully are igniting that mm. as well to kind of bring that back. I mean, I, I don't know. Like well, I said, the kids if, don't have guitar heroes anymore. Yeah, there's true. no guitar hero. Right? You're right. I mean, think about it. You're right. And the ones that I see, like I said, are, are young kids on YouTube. Oh yeah, ripping it's off. It's amazing. Doing like. Uh, Paul Gilbert solos and Vita yeah, Brada amazing. and Eddie they're Van amazing. Halen and all that stuff. Oh, they're amazing. And I think that's where, I mean, in the 2000s and, and beyond, it was a little lean. You saw Eddie Van Halen, you had Zach Wild, you know, Dimebag passing in 2004, kind of like left a whole bunch of kids right. with no hero. Right. But who is there now? Yeah. 
I, from a recording artist. Yeah, standpoint. present day. I mean, there, there's just I can't think of any. I mean, no, nobody comes to my mind except the the legends that have been here forever. And they're not going to be around forever. Yeah, and it, it, we're we're finding that out every day. It's just you know. Yeah, uh, and life will, and that's what I'm saying. Is it dead in the essence that it's got a shelf life? You know, another yeah. generation from now is it even going to be relevant? Well, again, we were talking about that cyclical thing. I think maybe maybe the cycle's bigger than we think it is in, in that sense. L- I mean, longer. So that's bad for us. Um, oh yeah, good point. Good but point. like maybe it's twenty, thirty years, and I, I mean it's going to come around again. I mean, you think about you know you think I hope so. You think about the. I mean, maybe there's so many angles. I mean, because of the computer age and stuff, it may have totally thrown things to the wind. You think? I'm saying because of again, like people aren't going to feel motivated to create music because they can't survive on it. No, it hasn't been motivated for a while. And I think it hasn't been motivated probably since um, mid 2000s because by the Maybe time earlier. it all got flushed out with the Napster debacle, it became pretty apparent that the legacy artists were not going to win yep. anything yep. because they couldn't stop it, right? When you're an IT specialist, how could they possibly stop downloading? Yep. It's impossible. Yep. And it, it, it hasn't stopped. Yeah, how can it's you just do done it? a little bit differently right now. Mm-hmm. Like I was telling you, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it anywhere because it just yeah. it worsens the problem. But right. you can still steal a lot of music, um, and it sucks, you know. And it, mm-hmm. again, it goes back to you know the youth in general saying, "Well, why would I need to pay for that?" I can right, and that's an interesting. I'm why, sure you. Why would seen, I pay for that? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen you know artists talk about that. I, I've just watched interesting Joe Rogan, Rogan podcasts with artists talking about that exact thing. And Rogan was the standpoint, well, you know, would you really want to, you know, would you really want to kind of stop someone from being exposed to your music? Because now you have a new fan who might come to a concert to pay a ticket to do all this stuff. And all your legacy artists are like, doesn't matter. It's, yeah. it's either theft or it's not theft. Yeah. You know, you can't, there's no... It's like you know, I don't have a, I don't have a right to go use your car this afternoon because I need it, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's a, you're right, and I mean, artists don't have a choice on the. Would you rather not have that artist or have them buy a ticket? I mean, what are they going to say? I mean, because it's either take it's, anything at this point. Yeah, it's all or nothing. It's like okay, push them away, and you you lose that that concert ticket and merchandise at the concert. Or accept it and move on. And and most artists, you know, they're either again continue touring on their legacy, or creating new music that maybe folks don't want to necessarily hear, and then combining that with their with their hits. Oh, it's flipped. You know, initially the thing was you toured to support the record sales, and people and, wanted to hear it. And if you got T-shirts and stuff, and some bands took it that to the extreme, but if you sold merch, that was cool. Maybe helped some of the touring costs. Right, but. You basically wanted to promote that record, right? And now they're touring to to eat. Yep. That's why ticket prices are high. Meet and greets are there. Yep. T-shirts are eighty dollars. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, here and to me, here's how bad it is. Like we, there was a point in time in our band. I mean, we um, we were focusing on merchandise and doing really well. I mean, even to this moment, I mean, oh, when, yeah. when we expose ourselves to a new audience, surprisingly. Like we'll sell like I we have these little uh, just combo things where we'll sell all four of our discs for a discount, Got it. and we sell a ton of. I'm like I'm really surprised and, and happy about that. But like the actual physical disc, yeah, it's a tangible thing. Yeah. see, 
But I mean, as compared to just buying one, yeah, they'll, they'll oh, buy yeah. all four. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, smart marketing on your behalf. Well, it's just a yeah, get rid of product. You know what I mean? Move product. Um, but uh, my my reason for bringing that up is we'll open for a national act or a touring act, and they start seeing us setting up our merchandise, and they're like, "No, you can't sell merchandise." And it's like, at one point, I think we did. That's a, interesting. We did a support thing for Rascal Flats. This is years ago, and we were starting to set up our stuff and they're like didn't anybody tell you that you're not selling any merch you don't compete with our merch sales i'm like you really think we're going to put a dent in your merch sale wow that's interesting and it, that's it, ha- really it happened a lot that's interesting so that's where it comes down to that's the survival thing the ticket and the merchandise wow how about that so i was there, like, i mean they were worried about the undercard hurting them yeah the very small you know pebble on a beach undercard Compared to somebody like Rascal Flatts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, the, well, again, the music, you know, how can they monetize that? I mean, now, now obviously, you're elite, you're Taylor Swift's and all that, but I mean, is, you know, is she making money on her new music? I mean, really making money? Like, how's that work? Yeah, I think, I, I do think there are just certain exceptional artists, and like, she grabbed, you know, she was like Debbie Gibson of the Debbie Gibson era. She grabbed, that young teen female demographic that they would die for her and i and i do think there was i mean i i in fact there was a a young fiddler female fiddler in our we had a female fiddler in our band early on okay but we also had a couple female fiddlers that would sit in when that girl couldn't do it and so yeah, they were both right on, right on. they were like this either they were in their mid-teens when they were performing with us and I, I just remember the the one girl who, to this day, as I think, is a huge Taylor Swift fan. She actually has a record deal these days too. She's a um, Americana artist, but she was just hooked on Taylor Swift, and she was handing. She's like, "You got to listen to this," and she was buying discs. This is a teenager, yeah, in the you know whatever mid two thousands, early two thousands. So I think there are those just few standout artists where they grab a demographic. Where they're the, these kids are talking their parents into getting them yeah. product, and it 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 might be merchandise, not necessarily music, but I think a chunk of it in her case was music. Yeah, they were buying her music, but it's rare. I, I think where the missed opportunity is that I, I think this way. I think people love tangible stuff. That's why you're seeing a resurgence for vinyl. It's not. There's an audio difference, or it's, it's some just some people think there is. Yeah. Well, well, let me just let me just explain something to you. So when they're taking this old master tape, they're not really pulling from the original master; they're pulling from a digitalized version of the masters. So when they're putting that digitalized version on the vinyl, it's not. It's the, basically you're listening to now a organic version of a CD, right? <laughs> yep. And paying like sixty dollars for that album, but yep. whatever. But we, I don't think artists do enough to provide that cool, unique, tangible stuff. And the script was written in the 70s, and Kiss was one of the bands who did it with throw all the shit in a record. Yep, the love gun. All that stuff. Yep. Why do we remember that stuff? Because it meant something yep. to us at that time. Yep. That's how you're going to get kids back. I mean, because there's nothing sexy, cool, or, you know, it, it, there's no prize with downloading a song. Right. Yep. And Give it, them something to hold, it's man. Just, it's just it's in the you know it's in the cosmos. You hear it in your ears. That's it. Give them something to hold. Yep, I agree. I agree. And, and I mean I, the, that that physical album, whatever CD booklet, all that. I agree. Maybe and Taylor Swift is doing that now. I, I mean, I think at least she did early on. But I think you know streaming has really 
took over in the last five years, would you say? Maybe. How is anyone making money on that They're outside not. of the streaming company? They're not. Yeah, I mean, you're making point oh oh one four something cent per stream, and I'm like. You know, and I, 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 there's a there there'll be a time or two where I'll chime in on on uh, like there was a time or two for the band where I'd chime in and go, you could stream this tune, or you could pay ninety nine cents for this one song and, own it. and it would be yours forever. You could burn it to a disc and hopefully not burn it for fifty other people. But you know, if you compare that to the less than a cent for listening to that song one time, you know, and a lot of young people's response would be, well, I'm only going to listen to it a few times. And move on to the next thing. Again, that's that the whole concept of music becoming despicable. Come on, it's disposable. Yeah. That's a horrible thing. And to man. me, it's just it's like so horrible. It is. And to me, it's just so it means so much to me to to revisit songs right. and and rediscover right. songs and right. songs that I skipped over on a disc that I never listened to. I listened to. I'm like, why didn't I listen to this? Why did I skip? You know, why don't I know this? Yeah, yeah. And the, I was telling you about the my my roommate and I. Uh, my roommate from college and I doing this podcast, we do that to each other all the time. He'll shoot me a tune. He's like, have you ever heard this? I go, no, where did it come? I just found it. I'm like, wow, you know, it'll blow my mind. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the things that like we want whoever cares to listen to one. But I mean, mm-hmm. the people that, you know, would want to know or or would listen would be probably people of our age. Niche though. There's a niche there. And, so and it's you, just, and but it's just something that, you know, you're doing it to get create, it out. Yeah, happiness and you know the passion and stuff for it. It's just something, that, and just man. like what you do here. I mean, uh-huh. and you yeah, know. I would just do it's open genre. So I'm getting these right. shows. I'm getting science shows. Right. I, I just crave a lot. Right. I, I mean, I, <laughs> but I, want, I could go down that niche with you and people like you every day of my life. And you're going to come on a podcast every day. Yeah, of course, if I'd be honored. Every day of my life, I would do it. I just think that, like you know, and and that's the this format to me is the beauty of it is that it is long form conversation yeah. and people may come in bits and grab bits and pieces here or put it up in the corner of their computer as they're working and we have an audio version right. of the show and I'm surprised by the downloads my point is we are the anti soundbite meaning that we are not under the premise that we're going to communicate with our audience thank you like you're going to get anywhere else on commercial television commercial right. radio even commercialized podcasts now you right. know, you're not going to be talked at right you know in little bits and have you guess and fill it in in between and that's what rogan i think he's changed the landscape by doing that where it just he wasn't the only one but he popularized it and that's why we do this because we want people to talk agree and yeah. i mean the other thing too is like you know i, I think a stern and, and rogan definitely and things are you know, Stern to me is one of the most masterful interviewers. Best ever. Period. And yep. I mean, he pulls things from people and he puts them in an environment like this where mm-hmm. it's just chill and comfortable and you like what you're looking at, you mm-hmm. you know, and he gets people to talk. And I mean, that's what people are like no craving. Of course, why? Because everything else is being thrown at us. We get our news that way. We get our right. entertainment it's, news that right. way. It's all edited. It's all you know, homogenized yep. and it's sold to us. Exactly. Even though we're not paying something for the airways, we, we technically are we're being right. sold. We're being sold a narrative and see, there's no narrative here. Like right. I, I don't, you know, I just don't care. And, and, and you, you have to, you have to really come to this space. I'm talking like a, a millennial now, <laughs> uh, at the podcasting space with, um, humility. And that's where I try to lead with humility. I don't know anything. And I just want to, 
let people do their thing and learn, right? right. If you come at that with that, then you, everything's opened up to you, right? Because every I've never had anybody come in here. You know, your show uh, one sixty nine eight. Oh, wow. Um, and it's only been just, we're not even two years yet. And I only wanted to do like one a week, but it's, it's just taken off. The thing is, no one has said, I can't, I'm, well, I'm not talking to you. Nobody is, I mean, once you come at it with humility and really are curious to learn about what they had to say, yeah, we only want, everybody wants to be heard, right? Right. And I mean, um, like, you know, I had seen bits and pieces of yours before this. And then um, when you asked me to, I went back further. Mm-hmm. Good. And- and it's just like you know that that is one thing I love about what you do is the fact that you you you've covered every topic you know and yeah, and almost <laughs> and, 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 and you're and you're like just open to do that where you know uh-huh. even what with 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 I would like to do with this podcast all I want to talk about uh-huh. although I'm sure it's going to veer off in fifty directions is good music there's nothing wrong with that and again and I want to focus even further on this because I want to. You know, spread the love that never got spread. That kind right of stuff. Right on. It's a but, great premise. But again, it you know, it it'll probably go in fifty directions, and I'm okay with that as long as it's flowing and it's good. Real. And, yeah, it's authentic. Exactly. It's not you know, it's not. I, I I really honestly believe that the public in general wants commonality. They want to be able to feel and touch people that are of similar ideas and hear things that they're not exposed to normally right we're right. curious we want to know but we have been spoon-fed forever man on tv yeah television is is wonderful and it's also the devil kill no your doubt. television no man. doubt it's like yeah you know, i would love to have more radio of course you know and i understand you got paid the bills i get all that I don't have any, believe me, I have no delusions that you or anyone else should start a podcast and not consider the money component. I am fortunate in my life that I don't need it for this show. And it gives me a unique, um, I don't know, it gives me a unique authenticity to what freedom I'm doing. Too. Well, the freedom's there, yeah. I'm not good at taking orders anyway. So if a sponsor was yeah. saying, you can't do that, I'm I probably wouldn't have them. Right. But yeah, very authentic nature of what we do. And... I just don't want. I don't want to put up the aggravation that I would have to do to monitor, to maintain sponsors right. and all that. Now all of a sudden it's not fun anymore, right? For me, unless somebody threw you know? a pile of bills and said, "Do what you want." Yeah, but who's going to do that? Right? Nobody. But, <laughs> like, so that's what uh, I'm saying. You can't, you can't so. say nobody. It's but, happened. But 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 I will tell you, I I really have an appreciation for what you uh, mentioned about wanting to start because out of boredom, uh, on my wake, my nightly walks at midnight, I found a rush podcast after neil had passed and they over two shows critically broke apart every i mean these are, these are nitnoids great guys i'm guessing but nitnoids they broke apart every record it was so weird and nerdy and specific but man i listened to every one of those episodes because i was the perfect listener yeah. the perfect participant right right and that, that would be the same way with me with you know like i was saying like with obscure bands or obscure albums like i can tell you everything about these and you know a huge percentage of people wouldn't care but those that would like you with the rush thing right like because There's when somebody a lot of people when there. somebody brings it up to me like i go on a tangent and they're looking at me like are you out of your mind you know how do you know this or why do you know i'm like just because i adore it and i just got sucked into it you know like big yeah. time and yeah I just, yeah. you know, the the again the genre, the the pop metal, hard rock thing, you know, it's looked at on a very, you know, uh, what's the word? 
you were saying about like Kiss songs, like there, there, there's there, there's not a whole bunch of depth to no. them. You would think, no, no, no right, yeah, um, yeah. But like there are a casual music fan would think they're not very deep, right, right off the bat. But you know, I I think of bands again. I'll get chuckles from people that know me, <laughs> um, but I think of a band like Cinderella. Okay, uh-huh. Cinderella first album, um, love, love, love. You know they'll they'll be they'll be the first ones to tell you the video like a lot of corniness to it and blah blah blah. They know what they were doing right, it, and it was it was designed. It was you know a lot of was it on purpose. Is there a song about a train or something, or was there like a? No, you're thinking of their third album. Uh, okay, Heartbreak Station. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. It's a long time ago, pal. The first two albums, and I, this is where I'll get nerdy with the stuff I love. First two albums were pretty successful, pretty popular. Okay. First one was just. You know, most people would cringe hearing Tom Keeper's voice for most of that yeah, album. It's got a unique. Yeah, we're, we're talking like mid '80s now. Are we yeah. like at '86, '80 something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's when the first one came out, okay. Night Songs. Um, and then the second one, Long Cold Winter, to me, like just a huge change, maturity, deeper songwriting, better instrumentation. He changed his singing in in areas, and then you jump to the third album, which is you know it, it it was hitting right around where everything was about to go off the cliff right one of their best albums like 90 incredible album he they went more into the blues side of things again he changed his voice and i think it's because he knew he couldn't keep up what he was doing forever yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and it yeah. was for the better the songwriting was better i mean it, and, and like they when when time started changing people went away from them only knew them for those first two albums didn't realize they released five after right. that right, right that right, were right. pretty damn incredible right and so those... they're a great candidate for your show concept then what's that they're a great candidate yeah. for your show concept yeah and i mean it's just that you know i there's again in general and it's not just that genre there's so much good music that nobody's ever heard and that's a good premise for a show i want to touch on that i, I think that's a how did you come about that idea um, just again, it, it's it just it's probably been like me and my roommate from college bantering back and forth about it for decades. Okay. And you know, at some point in the last few years, you know, our uh, in general, you know, even within the band, our lifestyles have changed. The pand- well, sure. pandemic hit and no stuff doubt. like that. No and doubt. I'm like, no doubt. You know, I want to take more time to talk about and do things I enjoy, and this is one of them. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and that's but that's the thing. I, I want it to be about just good music in general. Again, some people might not consider Cinderella good music. I don't really care, um, yeah. but I can pull out things of course. from Cinderella to show you that, not necessarily that you're wrong, but there are good aspects of it that you missed. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure. I think most fans, even uh, fans of legacy bands would dismiss albums. I mean, I can tell you Rush albums I never gave a really healthy listen to, like Vapor Trails and things, which people love that record. Right. That was all new Rush. I mean, Rush has got so many stages. Right. That's a stage. That is that one I thing just, I know about them. That yeah, they they got so many different stages of music. Where yeah, and everybody loves to do. I mean, it's just that's the thing about classic rock. It, it's people want to hear the the hits, right? They want to hear what they remember as a kid. And like you said, there's probably so much good work as they're refined as individuals and musicians right. now, right? Right. And that's you know those are some of the, like those songs are some of the ones I I don't want to hear live, but you know that they have to do them because the majority wants to. 
be nostalgic and go back to that time and and relive that feeling and stuff. And I, you know, I kind of do to some degree, but like we always joke, we do in in Nomad in the okay. country band, we do a lot of rock stuff because that's where we all came from. So play we'll, some Skinner, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Um, but like we do, you give love a bad name oh, yeah. and living on a prayer. Oh, Two yeah. songs I never want to hear again. Yeah, don't go over well in Pittsburgh though. Yeah, but I'd like. I adored them and I overplayed them myself. Of course. But I can't listen to them anymore. And like doing them doesn't give great. me That is great. Yeah, doing them great. doesn't give me that feeling anymore. <laughs> it's just I'm they're they're they've lived their time. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, if we're talking about Bon Jovi, there's a billion tunes uh-huh. that if you're a fan and follow them over the years, I I can't stomach In and Out of Love off of 7800 <laughs> Fahrenheit tune. or whatever the yep. name of that, that album was. Yep, that was it. Silent Night, one of their yeah. best ballads. Yeah. Um, you know, those early stuff, the the first album was a lot of good stuff. He wrote pretty much all that himself, but When's the first time you saw that band live? 86 or 7 on and Slippery opened, When Wet. Okay, so the year before they opened for Rat. Yeah, I didn't. I, I saw them when they were headlining for the first time. And the next year they were back open. It's a headliner, but they opened for Rat that year. And I saw Bon John jumped over the drum riser, and they were the opening act. Wow! So Rat shoved them all the way to the front of the stage in front of the black tarps. They were working on small space. But they jumped. He jumped over the drum riser in these high heel cowboy, feminine style cowboy boots with this long denim like oh, trench yeah. coat, and just. I was just like, number one, he's going to break his freaking leg. Number yeah. two, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> number two. And when that set was done, they destroyed Rat that night. Rat was so disappointing compared to what I believe bon, it. bon Jovi did. It was unbelievable. And I, you know, that uh, you know, I'm 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 a I'm an okay, I'm a probably moderate Rat fan, but that explains where Bon Jovi went and where Rat went, you know. And there's a lot of good tunes and things and and you know, Warren D Martini and all that stuff in Love Rat. Him. Um but that that says a lot, and I mean, um, I saw the first one I saw um, again. Slippery and Wet opening or not opening, uh, headlining in Pittsburgh is they when is when John's voice was gone, gone because they had already toured. He, I mean, it was it was god awful. Uh, I don't know if it was or not. It was, but it was laid into it. They had already toured the world with it. And they may they may have been to Pittsburgh once already, and I saw them on their second time through. And they he was terrible, and then they came back. Uh, it was either another time for Slipper One Wet or New Jersey, and like he said, I'm here to make up for it, and he crushed. Um, at that point, he had gotten I think he had gotten vocal lessons and gotten things back in place, and right. they killed. So they brought him back again on that. That's that some band manager just milking that. Thing, oh, that's huh? that was Doc McGee. Uh, he killed oh, them. Oh, there you go. Exactly. I mean, you know that from Kiss and stuff. Yeah, yes, I, mean, he, I do. He he murdered a lot of them, but they were making. I mean, they were making so much money that how could you pass it up? He's you know? like a little, a little logistical. Yeah, uh, they they call him the logistical nightmare. I had someone say that, but but he just loves to. He would find a way to, to jam as many shows as humanly possible. Yeah, with some of the older bands, you can't anymore physically. Right, right. You can't. But and I mean, John. You know, I, I was gonna say that before. Like you know, I, I hate to say it, but like you know, Bon Jovi in the last 
couple albums and last five or more years. I mean, his voice. Yeah, well, of course they all age. But I mean, he. I mean, Stanley doesn't sound like Stanley. No, Stanley's no. just sound. I mean, it's no, it's a, it's that's a bummer too because he's one of he's you were asking about favorite vocalists. He would have yeah. been close to next in line behind Freddie. And it's and what's crazy about that? I, I, do you agree with this statement? I mean, to me, he's my favorite vocalist only because of the era of when I grew up and, and what it's meant to my career and how closely intertwined I am with that beat. So he becomes my favorite vocalist. But he's not the best vocalist in my era. You know what I'm trying, trying to say? Yeah. That? And that's not to criticize him. It's just saying I realize that's not the the greatest vocalist in that era, but it's my favorite. Yeah. You see yeah, what I mean? I 100% see what you mean. But, like, he, again, he's, to me, I don't know if you would have seen that on his birthday I posted his solo album cover and said... Love what he did for me and oh, you know as a, but to me he was the embodiment in every way of the, a true rock star look no doubt. his voice <laughs> his no stage question, presence man. everything there's no question but his voice no question. his voice you know until probably the last whatever 10 15 yeah, years I think in 2009 10 started the I mean there were breaks and cracks yeah and, and I mean but it was, he hard hel- to, it was hard to watch as a fan but but he but he held up to me, a lot longer than I would expect it to staying in the range, in the high range that he did through like there's the nineties. No, there's no, oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I started working with him in '06, so I first thing I did was live the wind tour. That solo thing he did, yep. and that we started making guitars at that time for him. But that that show in '06 was the best Kiss show I ever saw because he was with a really amazing band. Yeah, but he had. There was nothing about his voice in 06 that was even remotely troubled in any way. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, and I, I do I think mean, you you do hit a point at, cool, or, or an age where things change, your vocal cords yeah. harden. I He's mean, all kind of stuff happens. pretty well, though. I mean, they. I mean, they. I mean, I agree. Yeah, and and and, it, and it, like he always would say, if you're expecting to hear me, you know how I sounded in '77, yeah. then go put a record. Exactly. <laughs> and I was telling you about the, my favorite singer, Tony Harnell from TNT. Yeah. Another one. He's the same way. He's like, if you want to hear me sing that high, go back to '86 and listen to Tell No Tales or whatever. But it's the same way. And it, it, but they've you know adapted and adjusted and sing in different keys and sing, change the melody, all kind of stuff. Paul. I mean, there was a period of time with Paul. I heard I, I just couldn't watch, and I'm like, yeah. what? Are, why is he doing this? Yeah. I mean, I knew the answer, but I didn't want to. Yeah, there are some, there there are some. Well, a lot of people for this, re, this this reunion tour, they were wondering how the the last tour was tough. It's tough for me, and I I, I try to reserve judgment because I know how difficult to put that show on it is. Yeah. But, but there is there yeah nobody it, nobody just, gets nobody gets a vocalist um over the course of a long tour and then over the course of their lives about what what that puts on their vocal oh course. yeah because that's a human instrument Exa- as opposed to like a guitar you could play one guitar for 50 years and that some bitch will probably even sound better in year 50 yeah and on right? top, yeah and but I, I always i used to have this argument with my guitarist in the band about like days where i was hurting and i'm like Let's not do that tune. I'll I'll butcher it. Blah blah blah. I'm like, what are you talking about? You'll be fine. And we, we would get into it a little bit. And I'd be like, you see your guitar there? I go, you can change strings on that guitar, and it's going to sound perfectly fine. I can't change vocal cords. You know, all I can do is try to prepare, try to warm up, try to sing more often, this and that, and hopefully not play overplay or play too much. Or I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. So and that's yeah, it's tough. that's the difference, you know, and. You know, for whatever, better or worse, you get through it and you, you deal with it. I've I've only had, in the 15 years of Nomad, I had to cancel 
I want to say two shows. That's it. Two shows. Um, now, the one we were like on a we were at a, doing Atlantic City, Maryland, another beach thing. Three days and or three sh- shows over four days, and I started to lose it on the first show. Okay. And I made it through that show. You would have never known listening from as an audience member. We got to the second one, and I had a day off, which was probably a bad thing because everything kind of locked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was I was eking out notes during the second show, and I'm like, dudes, there's no way I'm doing this third show and of any quality. And we knew a guy that my fiddler was in a previous band with, and this guy drove down to the next show in deep West Virginia and fucking killed. Really? And got me out of How about that? dying on that show. So that was the one time, and then another time I think I just completely lost it leading up to a show, and I had to cancel. I, I was sick. And What's well, an instrument, right? Yep. And I mean, there, there, there are things instrument. beyond your control. There are just things beyond your control. And again, luckily, I think I've had enough singing in general, vocal lessons, not a lot, but enough over the years, yeah. and just knowing what feels right where I'm not straining that I've been able to maintain it. Hmm. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not what I was 10 years ago, probably, you know, like in terms of wanting to do, like hit things or uh, just pull off things that I would have tried in the past. But I know, I know where I am with that and I'm fine with that. What's your thoughts on us returning to live music here? Like what's your, what's your thoughts with the bands? We haven't even touched pandemic yet. Yeah. We have a, do you, do you have a timetable in your head? Do you have a guess? No. And I mean, well, let's see, a guess. Um, I think early next year. Really? Yeah. So I, just the reality, because although it may come back before the end of this year, I don't think like huge concerts are going to come back. And I, and I think that's a mix of the health and the, and the risk. And also, I mean, of people like me, I picture myself. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think we had this conversation, but. So for in 2020, I, I turned 50 in 2020. My wife bought me two incredible concerts for 2020. One was, and people might not think this is incredible, but, but it was Kansas, Europe, and um, Foreigner. Foreigner was headline. Oh, yeah. And I'm a big Europe fan. People yeah, will right check on. with that. What's all that? Again, they've been together forever. They're still, uh-huh. they got back together, released great albums. But she got me a meet and greet and all this other stuff. And I'm like, uh. this is kick-ass. They never come to America anymore. Blah blah blah. That got canceled. Of course. Um, we and that was that was at Star Lake. Okay. Um, I'm gonna call it. What we is all it? Do. What it is officially again back I, to? I don't recognize anything. The else. amphitheater at Star Lake is its new name. Okay. It's so, Star Lake to me. So we were front row at that, and then we were we were doing the Motley tour. Yeah. Um, fairly yeah. good seats for that. But I imagine myself crammed in front row at that show now. And I don't feel too comfortable. I don't care if I, I'm right or wrong or if I'm, I get a, it. if I'm a puss, whatever. I get it. I get it. And I just think, like, it sucks that that's, like, what's implanted in my head and probably a lot of other people's heads. Of course. They're the opposite, too. They're, like, too, I'd rather be at a concert than care about getting sick or spreading it to somebody, that kind of stuff. So that's why I think, if anything, it's going to come back gradually. Even if Motley Crue decides to come back this year on that tour... I think they're going to be disappointed because I think the crowd is going to be hesitant still because some people aren't going to be vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. It's such a complex question. It is. I mean, when you sit and think about, because um, you nailed it. it, it isn't just about getting the official go-ahead from the government. 
it's the innate fears that will linger for a long time with the populace and what we're going to be willing to do. Yep. I mean, think and think of road crews. Is the entire road crew going to be on board? Like you think of the teachers, the position they're in now and right. stuff. Right. It, it's it all sucks. I mean, it it totally sucks. I mean, from what like just from a personal standpoint. And what I went through leading up to the pandemic happening with my wife dealing with some stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I told you about losing our dog to cancer and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's a, He was our kid. Right. I needed, I'm almost, to me, that was a silver lining. I needed that time. Yeah. If we would have continued on playing at a steady basis, I think I would have been a wreck. And mm-hmm. I would have sucked more than anything and, and been detached and not there. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not in the best mindset, to be honest, in a, on a couple levels. Oh, sure. But, oh, sure. But just Natural. in general, I just, I mean, I already see, you know, like, um, I think I heard it right after the Super Bowl, but like the weekend, for example, just rescheduled his entire tour this year for next year. And I'm not a big weekend fan, but that, to me, that says a lot. He's huge. Yeah. And he realizes... That he's probably better off waiting until next year. Yeah, so it's funny you said that because there's a lot of bands that have tours later this fall, but basically they just kind of have to do that, right? I mean, they've got to put it in just in case. Yeah. The way things are trending, Yeah, you don't see it. Yeah, just, I mean, even like Motley was a good example of last year. Mm -hmm. They held off canceling until the absolute last possible Mm -hmm. minute because they thought there might be a glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. and then they canceled but yeah i I think the same thing and i mean i think there'll be bands that they've already you know rescheduled their tour from last year to this year and they're going to stick it out hoping that there might be a clearing in the woods um but i think there are some people that are just like "Eh, we're waiting has anyone seen vince neal through the pandemic (laughs) no there there were I saw the fake photos online. Of okay, him being I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say the funny ones, but I did see a picture or two of him. I mean, he, I mean, he's notorious for doing that, though. Even in previous years, like leading up to the, I think the Feel Good tour, he was not in great shape and this and that, and he like dove into it, lost all kind of weight, got his tan back <laughs> and everything else. And they they killed on that tour. I'm not going to lie. Did you see how big he got? <laughs> oh, dude. I, I've seen him live. I've seen him live recently. Oh, and it's some pretty It's embarrassing. Horror. Yeah, so, you know, people talk about Paul Stanley's voice going. There's that. But then ultimately, all you got to do really is just right. take a look at some of those, those Vince Neil live or solo shows. I agree. And it's, I mean, that's the other thing too. Like he... Not only is he, has he let himself go, and I mean, I guess he has the right to do whatever he wants of course. in that way. Um, but when it sacrifices your show terribly, when you're skipping words, when you're not singing, when you're just singing flatline notes and things like that, and you don't care, that's a totally different thing to me. You can look however you want. I don't necessarily am going to be happy seeing that Vince Neil, <laughs> but if you're killing it, I don't care. Yeah, I get that. I really no, don't. No, no, I, I, I get that. What's um, big Van Halen fan growing up? Yeah, I so, and, and I came a little bit late to the game, but once I was there, I was hooked. So, I am amazed that the David Lee Roth who <laughs> gets a pass because I will. I'm looking around and people are getting into it. I'm like. He's talking his way through this. It's the only way I can describe it. Yep. He's talking his way through the songs. He's not singing. Yep. Yep. And it seems like no one cared. Like this has been going on the last couple of years. And to me, that, right? Am I, am I, you're 100 right. Did you see right. it the same way? Yep. And I mean, and to me, it, that goes back to 100 percent nostalgia. They 
they lived for the time that he was part of Van Halen. Yeah, of course. And there's a good reason for that, without a doubt. Um, but they, that's, they're just happy to see the original foursome back together and touring. That's what they were. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could not watch it. I'm like going... What is like how well, the bass player wasn't there, right? Anthony wasn't there, wasn't he? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They so, saw they saw Eddie and Wolfie. David together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was the fact that um, Dave was just back in the band. He was the front man again, even though you know Sammy. Oh, what's he? Oh, Sammy still got the pipes, and he crushed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he crushed. He him. he has a fountain of youth too. I don't know what's going on with him. He does. He can't be the age that he. he they I, say is well, no way. I I yeah. Uh, I just said the same thing about Rick Springfield the other oh, day. Yeah. I posted about him. He's seventy two. I saw him four years ago, and I, we'll come back to Van Halen for sure. Um, but I saw him four years ago doing an acoustic tour with Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. I, my wife and I ran into him in the restaurant earlier in the day, hung out with him, really nice guy. He comes out, does his acoustic show, and at the time he was 68. This was at the, uh, which theater? Um, one, you know, the one, Palace? No, no, this is one of the theaters in the theater district. Oh, okay. Um, okay. What's the biggest one? The Rex? No, you're thinking rock theater. I'm talking theaters. Um, oh, you mean like uh, the Benetton? Yes, they okay. were at the Benetton. Okay. Um, this dude runs into the audience. I forget what tune they were doing. He was doing. And he's running across the arms it. of the theater seats. I'm like, this dude Break is going to fall and kill himself in like multiple ways. And he kicked ass the whole time. And he was just on like Good Morning America a week or so ago because yeah. it's the 40th anniversary of Jesse's Girl. 40th anniversary. You wrap your head around that. So he performs it acoustically on the show, crushes it, and they're talking to him. And they're like, there's no way that you're going to be 72 years old this year. He's like, yeah, I'd like to think that too, but I am. And he still looks like a rock star to me. So, you know, going back to Sammy and stuff, I mean, yeah, Sammy, he's he does... and. I said about Rick, I'm like, I want to know what this dude is eating and drinking, and I wanted, I want that. It's amazing. And it's funny because I, people are making this big thing about Tom Brady being 43 right. or 44, playing right. that well, and it's pretty remarkable. But, I mean, he's only 44. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, he, This guy's 72. Right. And it's not like Tom really hasn't taken a beating in his career either. That's the other thing. He's been protected and stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like he's... When I was 42 and 43, I still felt like I was... 18, whatever. Yeah, I still feel like I'm in my 30s now. Me at 55. too. I, I mean, you're, you, you get reminded all the time that you're not. Right. You know? Right. Every once in a while, something aches, it probably doesn't ache. Agreed. <laughs> Van Halen was something. That was a force. Did that, I mean, yeah. were they on your radar as a kid? Or you just they were always out there like they were badass, and you just accepted their badass, although they might not listen to them that much. Well, it was, again, it was similar to the Prince thing. Like, again, I was consumed with Kiss in 78 yeah. when the first Van Halen album came out, so I kind of missed the first... Probably, I hate to say this, like three albums. Yeah. 1984 is what smacked me in the face. For most people, I think. I do too. That's when they really hit mainstream. And then I went back and I'm like, this is crazy. And it was more, again, I love Dave. Dave is, again, was the ultimate. Dave is Dave. Yeah, he was the ultimate front man in every way. But it was more like, it was just the, the sound and Eddie and... I mean, it was just... It was together. It was, again, it, it was yeah. Eddie and Dave, it's I think. The unit. It was right. those those two primarily. It was those guitar riffs with that reverb-drenched yep. singing, right? Yep. yep. I mean, that's the that's when I think of David Lee Roth, classic David Lee Roth. It's really yep. 
very heavy reverb, like he's singing in an echo chamber, and then and there's a lot of reverb on the guitar licks. Yep. But that's what it was. Yep. And it was something we'd really never yep. heard before. Yep. And then I mean, you know, Dave going into his solo stuff. There's a lot of great stuff in his solo no, stuff. Yeah, he surrounded himself with great guys, yep. great and, players. It, well, yeah, especially early on too. And it, but I mean, Vi, Becker, and my buddy Ray was his drummer for eight years in the That's 90s. That's right. That's so, right. And, and again, they released music that a lot of people never heard of. It's really good stuff. Um, and he was still singing half decently at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, was, was Ray the drummer on, um, what's the album he did, Sensible Shoes? Uh, Little Ain't Enough? No, no. Uh, I, right after that, maybe. Yeah, I think the, the next album, boy, what was the next album after that one? That was Skyscraper. Am I right? No. Well, I don't know. Sky, no, no, Skyscraper was a late, 80s or early 90s because I think um, A Little Ain't Enough came in 91 or 92 I think I think you're right I think so there's there's that's when Becker Becker was on that album right I'm trying to think of well I'm trying to think of the first album Ray was on and it was in the early 90s it might have been either that album or the album after maybe I think it was the album after so but he was yeah but David's a great showman I mean I love watching him on stage he's a great interview if you haven't seen him on Rogan from a year or two ago you gotta go watch that I'm glad you said that I will he's a little you know he's a little hard to really sit and watch right because there's a you know, either I can tolerate it. Some people I know yeah. can't. And I mean, his mind is just a constant stream of stream of consciousness, man. Yeah, that's everything. how he talks. And they say that's how Kanye West was on Rogan too. And I didn't get much out of that, but I watched it. But there's this similar stream of consciousness in the way they talk. Although David Lee Ross seems like he's, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but he seems really freaking uber intelligent. Like he's really crafted in his thoughts. I agree. And I don't know where that's coming from. Right. I think Ray would tell you that too. Ray's told me story. He, he told me stories over the years about- we, Manic, uh, depre- not manic depressive, uh, bipolar, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like all over the place. And I mean, <laughs> to, to the fans, just, you know, I I, I won't tell a story because oh, I, yeah. I don't know if I would offend anybody, but- I understand. He was just a total tool at one point of to course. one of Ray's relatives okay. who, who was a diehard fan. Okay. And, but then he- you know, he'd tell me the opposite story where he went out of his way to do something for somebody. So, you know, it was. Yeah. And Freddie Qualo, my sidekick here, he um, didn't tour with them. That's why I know he knows Ray. Those, I bet you. Those two. Uh, we're going to get you two guys in the room here on this next show. I want you back here. I, I'd in, love in, to. In, in, kind of, in, in kind of quick order if we can make that happen. Okay, cool. But because um, he would love to have been here today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the road story from, because Fred was on the movie with you. And you guys just didn't even know it, which is, is just nuts. I mean, my, my thing was small and, so and, was, so and, and pretty quick, but it was you know it was a bucket list thing that I didn't even it's, know it's was amazing. a bucket list thing at the it's time. Amazing, that's amazing. And my friend uh, Candace Orlandi, she's uh, yeah, I know Candace. You know Candace? Oh, yeah. from Froggy too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's in she's in the film industry now with makeup and hair and all that. Right stuff. on. She's right on. the one that she uh, texted or emailed me. This is in 2008. Wow. And How she's about that, huh? it's crazy. And uh, she's like, dude. There, the the road is looking for a skinny amputee, <laughs> which we didn't even talk about. But um, I'm like, well, okay. I said, I, I've never even thought about anything close to film or acting or anything like that. And I mean, you know, it was like I said, a one line silly thing. But I went and auditioned among like three or four other dudes, 
and they picked me and yeah. made me even look skinnier and unhealthier with of makeup and of course that's a, I mean depressing uh, movie ugh. The, 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 such a depressing and, movie and it, the thing that sucked for me about it the most is there was like you know Oscar talk and all this stuff and then I saw the end result and I'm like I don't think people are going to get this <laughs> or appreciate it or anything. And even my, you know, even the uh-huh. the part of of the the victims in it was just strange. And yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 it was awkward and things. Yeah. But I was my. If you look at the credits, I'm man on mattress, <laughs> and I'm this dude who just got his leg freshly oh, cut off. Oh man, there's a blood stain on the mattress. Oh man, and I like uh, Vigo and and somebody that's I I don't know if it's the boy or somebody else come through the door and they're stunned to see all these people in here and I have to say help us please help us and I honest to God even think that's an overdub like they did something <laughs> after the fact but it was the, um, that movie was uh, it was supposed to initially be that dark yeah I mean it's it's the book is dark right I do think it was in I think it like they wanted to portray it as close to the book as they can and as dark as they could it just like you know the end was supposed to have like this hopefulness to it, but I really didn't get that, and I, don't, I think a lot of other people did not get that either. So, you but open to fun. coming back in a couple of weeks, dude? I'd love to. Yeah, I'm gonna get Freddie on here too. Um, and you two are gonna be kindred spirits for sure. I was trying to get him in today, but uh, not that he's that busy. But um, yeah, Fred Fred's got a unique rock I, and roll drenched background. Yeah, and you I'm familiar s- with the movie Rockstar. Yes. So Fred's in that movie. With Nick Catanese and oh, Zach Wilde. Okay. And so if you go back and watch that movie, Fred's, I don't know what his roles are, but he, he's waving the flag at the car race. And he's, um, trying to remember he's that. in there quite a bit. But they, it, there's some good, there's some good stories about the, that era of filming I, that. I would love to hear that. That's, I'll tell you real quick about yeah, that movie. Yeah. That movie to me compares to, and I mean, there's a reason because of the of way course. the movie goes compares to the changeover obviously from what I consider good music to crap in the early 90s and that's what it's meant to be but going into it I didn't know that's what it was about or where it was going so I'm into the movie and seeing the struggle and all that stuff and then everything go takes a left turn and he friggin moves to Seattle and cuts his hair and everything falls apart I was depressed at the end of that movie so supposedly uh, and I'll let Freddie get into the details when we get him in here but supposedly David there was an alternate or two alternate things filmed I do remember hearing that and so uh, and here's a little aside. And if Fred, if I'm saying this wrong, then I stand corrected. As the story as I know it, Black Label Society, Zach Wilde's band, was was or their image was actually formed while Zach was filming that movie, huh. because one of the endings for Wahlberg in that movie was that he had moved to the mountains and became a hermit. So Zach was up there, and they were filming that scene, and there was a beard. There was a fake beard there. And I guess Zach Wilde put this fake beard on and was kind of like had a few beers and was having a good time with it. And supposedly that somehow metamorphosed into what happened there. Oh, you know, BLS or whatever. But the, yeah, it's uh it's just a it's a great and I think you'll really appreciate it because I think uh, not only will you and Freddie be able to, to to really have a great show together, but I, I think that there's interconnections between the two of you and who you know. And, I, th- I agree. Because yeah. uh, when it comes to, especially Pittsburgh rock and roll, he's also been a stagehand in Pittsburgh when he's not touring. So he's always 
at every event in town, either yeah. working or there as a VIP or something. So, and, and even you know, even in even in the country genre, you know, oh, yeah. over the years playing like the regatta and things like that, we all we continually ran into people that we. We're all friends with back in the day too. Yeah. We're like, we didn't know you were still involved. They'll probably it. walk in and go, "Hey, I know you." Probably. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. But I want to have probably. both of you on in short order here, and That'd we'll continue cool. the conversation at that time. That'd Sound be great, good? Yeah, we have a lot on you. We haven't touched yet, but we'll do that with Fred. Thank you so much. All right, for hey, me. dude, thank you so much for doing it. This this means a lot to me. And oh, you came on, and it was fun time. And uh, yeah, and you you accepted the invitation. So I, I knew we were going to be kindred spirits yeah. in the music talk. Uh, wait, and, and show number two is going to be even better. Cool. Man. All right, thank you. All right, friends, we are out. Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project.